<laughs> What's happening, weirdos? This is a this is a Forbes. Remember those friends of Rob Bell? Gosh, they never, never disappoint. The Forbes episodes have always been some of my favorites, um, and we've just kind of we just ran out of friends of Rob Bell um, that were coming through town, and luckily Kent came through town. Kent is, uh, is, is very groovy. This is not, uh, I don't, I don't want to give anything away. We cover it all. He wrote a book called Bitten by a Camel. Rob told me, you got to talk to him. You're going to love him. He's like Richard Rohr. That's what he said. And I said, say no more. And then he walked into my house and we recorded this episode. So you know what I know. And I had a great time. So you have everything you need. Val is 15 weeks pregnant. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Hoot Maynard! <laughs> Hoot Maynard! When we watch uh, Shark Tank, there's a name in the credits, Hoot Maynard. And, we <laughs> and then because we haven't watched it in a while, the other night we were laying in bed and Pete went, Who's Hoot Maynard again? And I couldn't remember. I had to look it up. Well, we didn't. We resisted. We didn't Google for a minute. I was yes. proud. Yeah. And we just wondered. We were two people wondering, who is Hoot Maynard? It's a great name. Hoot, if you hear this, buddy, uh, we love you. <laughs> the baby has a skeleton. Val made a skeleton. Val, I guess I, I had a part in it, but she's cooking a skeleton. Yeah, I made bones, motherfucker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm just kidding. Feeling extra powerful. We were talking about it. It's weird that chickens make eggs. But then I was like, you made vertebrae. <laughs> we saw a baby, the baby's brain. And she was kind of moving her hand. Nobody cares. You don't care. <laughs> people don't care. We're already those people. Well, Hoot Maynard gives a shit. <laughs> I just want to give a little updates. 15 weeks. We got to say everything's happy and healthy and good. That's all. People, people care about that. They don't care that she was kind of swatting her hand in front of her face. That's some bullshit. <laughs> to you guys, not to us. We loved it. It was very important. <clears throat> very important to us. But anyway... Um, Let's get to Kent, uh, friend of Rob Bell. Check him out. Come see me at Largo, four twelve. April twelve is my final living at Largo show. I think Chelsea Peretti's going to be there. The great best worst friend reunion that we've all been waiting for. Uh, I just haven't seen her in a while. It's going to be wonderful. So other wonderful people will be on the show. Always great lineups. Um, th- these are the shows that sometimes Adam Sandler, Judd Apatow, or Zach Galifianakis, or Sarah Silverman. They all pop in from time to time. Ellen DeGeneres. Pops in. So these are great shows. Uh, so if you want to come see me do stand-up, Largo-LA.com. I'll be there on April 12th. Um, also, the Pete's Picks. Want to give the shout-out to the Pete's Picks. The first one is Alpha Brain. It's a nootropic. That means it's earth-grown ingredients. It's drug-free. It's not a stimulant. It helps you with memory. It helps you with concentration. It helps you with focus. And for the past three, four years, I haven't done anything that uses my brain. Podcasting, writing a script, doing stand-up, having a good conversation, meditating, trying to have trippy-ass lucid dreams without taking Alpha Brain 15 minutes beforehand. It's a secret weapon. It helps me think, helps me focus, helps me work. I wish I had it in college. And the, really the best way to do it is to try it. You can actually try it for free now by going to onit.com slash trial. 
And if that trial has expired, because, you know, these stay up for years and years and years, uh, you can go to onnit.com slash weird and you will get 10% off whatever items are on there. They got the MCT oil. They got New Mood. They got a lot of great products up on there. Alpha Brain is my fave. I swear by it. And Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil. I just took a little Charlotte Teb uh, <laughs> Wemp Oil uh, because I love it. I, I swear by it. It's just something. It's made from the hemp plant. They take the THC out with science. They take it out with science and they leave the CBD in, which is just the beneficial, healthy, happy glow that I swear by whenever, whenever I'm feeling anxious or stressed or low. I take just a couple drops of the Everyday Advance. Um, it's legal in every state. It's not a narcotic. It doesn't get you stoned. You can focus on it. You can work on it. You can concentrate on it. You can follow a movie. You can do whatever you need to do. Uh, it just sort of takes the edge off. It's kind of hard to explain, which is why I want you to try it. Um, it makes me a little bit quicker to smile, quicker to laugh. I love it. Just try it. Just try it. Go to CW, like Charlotte's Web, cwhump.com slash weird. Use promo code KEEPITCRISPY and you'll get 10% off. I like the Everyday Advanced and there's also the Everyday Plus. I always mention the Everyday is sub-perceptual. So you probably want to go medium or strong on that if you want to feel that effect. Those are the Pete's Picks. Hope to see you on uh, April 12th. After that, we'll be in New York shooting Crashing Season 3, which is awesome. We're writing it right now. Uh, we'll keep you updated on the baby in ways that you want and ways that you don't. And uh, in the meantime, enjoy this wonderful conversation with the iconoclastic, ooh, Kent Dobson. Check out his book, Bitten by a Camel. I have to as well. You're going to enjoy it. I'm going to say, Val, you say. Get into it. She's saying get into it for two, you know. <laughs> Kent. Yes. Dobson. This is what I think of when I think of California, like like bungalows. Or... Yeah, Luke Perry's house from nine hundred two one zero. Seriously, did you ever watch that? <laughs> well, I are mean, we this... like occasionally? I'm like a fan. Don't back away, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be ashamed. I love nine hundred two one zero. Is it really echoey? Is it okay? Great. Because um, of the room? Yeah, we've never really recorded here. We used to record at a comic book store, but it, uh, I don't know, we're recording here today. We left Nerdist. I used to be with a network called Nerdist, and now we're independent. All right, so yeah. I know what it's like leaving a mass. <laughs> you left a church, I left a I network. Did. It's very different. <laughs> we'll get to that. All right. How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling great. I, uh, oh, California is so different than... Michigan. I woke up this morning. I went for a run. Were you? You're in Michigan. Yeah, I live in Michigan. Yes, Grand Rapids. Yeah, I yeah. love Grand Rapids. You've been there. I'm not just saying it. Really good food. Surprisingly good food. You think? You can also take that out if you want. Meaning, well, let's let's start with the condescension. I assume it's going to be garbage, and then you get there, and I think it, they have some restaurants there that are absolutely as good as L.A. or New York. Yeah, really. they have they have some good restaurants and good beer. Yeah, they love their beer. They do. They want to push it on you. Yeah, they They're do. They're proud of it. They brew it there. They do. And I don't know. It just has like a... Well, what does it mean to you? I don't... Who cares what I think of Grand Rapids? You, you like it? I... I was like, going to say it has like a homey small town kind of but hip feel, but... I, I don't mean, know. Well, I grew up in Virginia, in Lynchburg, Virginia, in the mountains. Unfortunately named. Yeah. <laughs> you think they could update that? Is anyone going to be like, we like our Lynchburg? <laughs> Next to Murder Town, <laughs> I know it's terrible. It's terrible. Some people say it's not associated with lynching, but that cannot be true. It's the word lynch. I know it's in there. I know. Do they mean a linchpin? Yeah, no. I'm not even comfortable with linchpins. They should just own it and say, "Yeah, that's what we did." Yeah, that, and they, yeah, just double down. Yeah, but you're from Lynchburg. Yeah, Virginia. so I moved to Michigan when I was in junior high. So I have like 
I don't know. It, it, I don't know what home is in that sense. I, I would not say Michigan feels like home, but I mean, I like Grand Rapids enough. But I mean, junior high is around the time when you start associating with where you're from. When you're a kid, it's just yeah. a blur of colors and sounds and your mom and dad are there. Yeah. But like, I feel like in junior high, sixth, seventh grade, that's when I started to be like, I think I'm from Boston. Yeah. That's like a foreign idea. Yeah. Well, I had uh, a Southern accent when I moved to Michigan and Michigan, the accent is terrible in, in Michigan. <laughs> and, but I got mocked. I got mocked for saying yes, ma'am. And yes, sir. Not, not that I was polite. People thought yeah. I was polite, but yeah. I wasn't. And then I got mocked for this. And so I just killed it. I killed it on the spot. That's so and, funny. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. My mom, if you call her ma'am, hates it. Yeah. It's not polite. Huh. It's impolite huh. to call her. Especially, you know, she, even when she was in her 50s, you don't call her ma'am. Because it's something that you call the elderly. Yeah. And sir, too. <laughs> yeah. there, Jermaine Fowler, who's on Crashing, calls everyone sir and ma'am. And I'm always waiting for him to come across someone like my mother. Yeah. That's going to be like, don't call me ma'am. <laughs> Which is so weird. Because I kind of I like it. A little show of respect. Yeah. Or whatever it might be. Or courtesy. or Courtesy. Respect for elders, I think. Especially when you're young. Yeah. yeah. But when you're in your 30s and you're like, yes, ma'am, it's yeah. like, what, who do you think you're better than me? <laughs> but don't you do it sometimes, like certain people? Like, I, I, I was trying to rent a car. I was like, yes, ma'am. Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, I do it with the police. <laughs> that's who I do it with. Okay. I reserve only it for the, the police. Only, uh, the you police have to level. be armed for yeah. me to show you that much respect. <laughs> Elderly people can't take me. No. They get called Joe or Blue yeah. Hair. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. Uh, but so, isn't the cop like, d- doesn't he think you're a punk at that point? If like, you say th- sir? Yeah, don't they think? There's no, no way this guy says sir on a regular basis. I, this is such a, so privileged, especially given the climate of police and stuff. But I grew up in Lexington, Mass. And if we got pulled over. I don't think I was alone here. It was kind of exciting. Like something was happening. It wasn't frightening in the least. We had this sort of like air of like, you work for us, but we wanted to be, we, I wanted the cop to like me really badly. So if he pulled over, I'd pull out the, we all, we used to talk about this. You put in park, stop the engine, put the keys on the dash. We would brag to each other (laughs) how compliant we were because it was a grown up with a a bat and a gun and it's his word against you. So we did every, we wanted that cop to walk away and go like that kid was okay. Next time I'm not going to pull him over. He was all right. But so I, I have fr- I've been pulled over in cars with friends that are just kind of like curt. And I'm like, be nicer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but of course, you don't have to. That, that, sometimes I see on websites, it's like, here's what you're supposed to do. And it's not courteous. You can just be like, hello. Yeah. You're not even <laughs> supposed to admit fault or anything from a legal standpoint. Yeah. Have you seen any of that on Facebook? No. A cop wrote a thing about like, don't do this, don't do this. The reason they say, why do you know why I pulled you over is they're trying to get you to admit fault. Ah. Because if you say I was speeding or was I speeding or anything, I, I'm not an expert on probable cause, but if you say certain things, they can take that as probable cause. So if you say they're, nothing. They're planting things. They're planting things to see, see what you'll I mean, they want to write a good ticket. At yeah. the very least, they want to get a good ticket, right? Yeah. They want to get you for like... Seat belt. Well, I didn't have my seatbelt on. They're like, bing, okay, yeah. here we go. I got, I got one, I got two. I guess it's just their job. They do it a bunch of, all day, so they want to get a good one. Yeah. So they want you to admit a bunch of stuff. But that, that's that. obviously not everyone's experience with the police. No. But you moved to Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. Why? My dad. My dad uh, worked for Jerry Falwell. You know who this is? Yeah, Jerry Falwell is... Um, uh, he's, a, he's churchy, right? Yeah, no, he's like mega... 80s 
um, moral majority. Yeah, he's you know, in, is he an a hole? Am I? Thinking? Yeah, 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 he's yeah, an yeah. asshole. Yeah, <laughs> like he's really hard on the gays and hard. Okay, on... that's Jerry Falwell Jr. But also his oh, dad. So his all dad, these ones. his dad. Um, maybe you missed this sort of blip uh, of Christianity, but this is Christianity of the South that decided. Um, it wanted to be political, so forget about just getting people saved. Yeah, let's let's he put our voting. Yes, 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 I know that. So even in church, like you could sign up to vote. I mean, this was like right. you know radical back in the day, and, and this is what made the Christian vote such it, a huge thing to court. Yes, it yeah. made he he invented the Christian right as a voting bloc. Yeah. Jerry Falwell yeah. Senior. Yeah, and so my dad my dad worked for him. He was a vice president of his school, and. Uh, Helped start the moral majority and went around. So your dad was this way. Oh, yeah. Not to call your dad an asshole. So your dad had (laughs) tones of asshole. Of course, I'm joking, but he kind of sympathized with this idea. Oh, what would I say about my dad? My dad is an immigrant from Northern Ireland and weighed like 120 pounds. And, you know, coming from Ireland, you're sort of lost in this sea of humanity. Right. And somehow found this little niche of Christianity in the South and fit in. He's, he was funny. He was, mm. you know, engaging. He had an Irish accent or he did for a while until, until he, uh, he also killed his, he killed his he, Irish accent. I know. It's one of the ones you want. I know. Exactly. People exactly. love the Irish <laughs> accent. <laughs> I know. It's like, uh, that's why Peter Rollins is, Oh people my People love him. God. They're just like, just talk. If yeah. Pete Rollins lost his accent, he'd just be another <laughs> philosophizing white guy. Get this garbage yeah. out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my dad, um, and so I think he, once he found this little niche, and I think he just loved he having a, a place. Yeah, yeah. He found a home. Yeah. That's one of the, maybe you can relate, the tragedies of, of losing a church. We'll get to that later. Okay. But like, you do have a group. And my mother's a first generation Lithuanian yeah. and bought hard into the church, yeah. big time. Yeah. It's a group of people that are kind of morally obliged to being kind. It's a and tribe. Open. It's a yeah. tribe. But, and they want members, they yeah. want new members. Yeah. They wanted your dad. For sure. So your dad is here probably, if not during, hot off the heels of the no Irish time. Like some people yeah. aren't crazy about the Irish. Uh, and then church is, could be a good way. But it's a Protestant church. So that's the Northern Ireland part. There's, yeah. There's My dad was both. from Northern Ireland, from Belfast. Yeah. Okay. And he was a Protestant. He was a Protestant. Yeah. Which Isn't that the minority? Uh, well. Or is it 50-50? I don't know what it is anymore. Um, in the South, it's a big time minority. I think in the North, it was kind of split. Okay. Um, I'm the wrong person to ask that. But he had, I don't want to lump a whole group together, but. Certainly my mother. Let's take my mother. Old world values. Yeah. Homosexuality is other and weird mm-hmm. and strange. So it was very easy to kind of toe the line or at the very least not raise your voice mm-hmm. when people were like, you know, I, something that my church, this church that they still go to will say is they'll be like, nothing is added when it's a man and a man. You need the mix of it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's very passive. <laughs> nothing is added? Yeah. It's you a, need the blend like a of a man. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like there aren't different types of men. Like there's yeah. just one glob of poo called men. <laughs> and you put two of those globs together and you go, well, that's not right. But you take a glob of poo and a glob of fairy dust and that's a woman and we're okay. Yeah. When we all know that all genders have all sides to themselves, but that's what I'm saying. That's as hard as they'll be anti-gay now. But I think probably when my mom was young, she didn't have a problem with the fact that people were like, it's not natural or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Is that, I think, I, I think my parents were just sort of traditional 
Yeah. And but and my dad had a side where he wanted to please a lot of people. And he wanted to keep things light. He would say serious things and then say something light about it. He'd joke about it. Yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I don't think he left his sort of traditional Christian um, values, I suppose. But my brother is gay. So this this is like family Older drama. Older brother? Younger brother? Younger brother. Yeah. So you have a younger brother. Your dad works for Jerry Falwell yeah. Sr. And then you have a, he has a gay son. Yeah. but Just you, you two know, boys? No, I have a sister too. I'm going to turn the heat on. Oh, keep talking. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, this, uh, my brother, I don't think, well, I don't know when he knew he was gay, but he, when did he come out? yeah, he, he came out of the closet only a few years ago. Oh, and, really? Yeah. This yeah. is new. This is new. This is new. Get Big out news. of my Big, face. I yeah. thought you were going to reheat an old story. You're in the story. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it was it was new. And a it was, former pastor and a conservative leaning dad, gay brother. This is this is where change happens, yeah, baby. This is the real world. Yes, this is absolutely. this is what everybody's trying to push under the rug, saying yeah. this is not happening. Yes. Yeah, no, it's happening. Yeah. Um, but my dad also uh, he passed away a couple of years ago. He had he had ALS, and so the disease is kind of a wicked disease. Yeah. And I think as he got worse and and had a harder time speaking in a way this became a physical way of not saying anything about it wow. like i it's like they did accept my brother but they didn't make really a, a a claim on i don't know what you would call it the issue or something his lifestyle his lifestyle yeah <laughs> his sexuality yeah his sexuality lifestyle um, sounds like you chose <laughs> it like you love yeah. metal detecting on the beach or something yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is his sexuality his orientation yeah his i don't think they um they really said they said we love you, which I, I don't think that was that hard for them, but they just didn't want to talk about it. As my dad was getting sicker, you know, I mean, it was just like. Is it crazy to suggest that that was kind of graceful? And no one so. would wish for this, obviously. Maybe, but sometimes the giants, the Greek gods that our fathers are, yeah, the softening of age can can help. Yeah, both both moms and dads. I have to. So he came out after your dad was sick. Yeah, he did. And did, who did he, did he come out to you first? Were you closer? Oh my god, yes. Um, <laughs> he, I, I suspected it, and I tried to to um, like the cop situation. Tried to plant a few questions to see. Yeah, do you know why I yeah. uh, pulled you over? <laughs> do, you know why, <laughs> do you know why I'm calling you? <laughs> do you know why I'm calling you on this open line? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know why I keep telling you I love you no matter what? Yeah. <laughs> do you know why I keep telling yeah. you you can tell me anything? Yeah. So, because you probably saw your brother, you had to presume that he was at odds with himself, that he was suffering. Yeah, he was suffering. And um, he was also, he's, he's a complicated person. He was in, um, he's in the army. He's been to Iraq twice. And um, he, so I, I sort of, he, he sort of came out. He, had a, he, he also had a girlfriend during some of this time. So it was a bit of a confusing, mm. confusing season for all of us. But when he finally told my parents... I was at my parents' house and I'm uh, on and he calls me on the phone and he says, I came out to mom and dad, but I thought he said, I came out to mom and dad's. I was like, Oh cool. I'm here now. 
you know, because wow. <laughs> I'm in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, no, no, no. I came out. I was like, well, good. I'm upstairs. Come up and see me. He's like, no, I came oh, out. He came out <laughs> yeah. like he came to see mom yeah, and dad. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so funny. So I just misunderstood. It's like big moment, you know. Yeah. Like, I finally told I would have liked it the yeah. other way, though. If you just meant I came out to see mom and dad. Yeah. And I came <laughs> out to mom and dad. And you're like, oh, thank, oh, thank God. God. Yeah. We've all been waiting. Been waiting. He's like, yeah. no, I just mean I'm in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so he, t- he calls to tell you. So he came out to them first. Oh, or no, he, it's second. second. He came, he came out to me. So, but he tells you, how did it go? I know I'm interviewing you about your brother, but I think it all kind of. It just went you. like we love you, and then let's not really talk about it. Yeah, common play in the in our circle. Yeah, no, no, no judgment. I say that with love yeah. for it's it's complicated, and yeah. maybe they're scared. You know, I used to really, I don't know, um, I don't know how familiar you are with this phrase, but sort of love the what is it? Love, love the, the sinner, sinner, hate, hate the sin. The sin. You know, so, well, it's probably it's, it's terrible. It's on my top ten. It's least terrible. Favorite. It's terrible. Yeah. I would. I will say, for my dad and for his generation, that was a step forward. forward. It really was. I'm glad you're saying this. Go ahead. And and if you just think about a sort of evolution of consciousness, evolution of thought on the issue, that's a huge leap to say I'm going to love this person, yeah. but I'm going to quote hate what they do. I mean, right, right, right. It's, I know it's abstract. It's weird, and it's right divisive and, and can he be did, very hurtful, but, but it is a step forward. He moved yeah. it away from hate Ted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you're, you're going to burn in hell or hate something. Yeah. Ted to hate what Ted is doing. That yeah. is progress. Yeah, it is. And yeah. now, you know, it's, I'm glad that you brought this up. The idea. Okay. So, you know, I love Rob. We both love Rob. Mm-hmm. This is officially a Forbes. I don't know if you know that it's called the friends of yes, Rob yes. Bell <laughs> uh, series, <laughs> meaning we don't know each other. This is yeah. the first time we've talked, but Rob is like, you got to talk to this guy. And I was super excited to meet you. I should have opened with this, by the way. <laughs> I should have been like, I'm so glad you're here. I'm grateful to <laughs> talk you. to you. Thank you. All that good stuff. Um, but I'm very interested. Like, so I love Rob. Mm. I start trying to get my mom into Rob and she loves Rob now. And then what? something interesting happened where like the pastor of my old church reaches out and very, I love this guy. He's great. I don't know if we agree. I mean this. I don't know if we agree on things um, theologically or whatever, but who cares? So it's either someone I agree with or not, but it is somebody who used to head or who still heads the church that I used to go to. And he writes me and surprises me that he's like, I get mad when people try to silence Rob's voice mm. and, it's, and it needs to be heard. But here's where it gets a little tricky. And I, I, let's take that pastor out because I really do care for that man and I'm not trying to put him down. One of the things that I think is interesting is there is there are cultural shifts in thinking, in consciousness, mm-hmm. that pastors, and you're, you were a pastor, have to kind of keep up with, almost like, and I don't mean this in a put down, almost like show business. Mm-hmm. What's hot right now? Well, guess what? It's kind of hot right now to be more loving, be more accepting. Mm. So he's trying to train his younger staff and they're all into Rob. Mm. So it's just good business for somebody to go, well, maybe I should take a harder look at this. But isn't that interesting? That's not the traditional, like hearing the Holy Spirit call your name three times in the middle of the night. That's the the 22 year old. That's probably going to take your job at one point. Doesn't think gay people are going to burn forever. And you can't, control that because they're thinking and reading and hearing podcasts and lectures and mm-hmm. sermons and all the, all this new in, info. So there's a shift. Wouldn't you say that there's a shift? And sometimes I feel like the church on my better days, I guess when my more hopeful days, I'm like, they, some churches have no choice, but to get with the program and become a little bit more open. They're going to die. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. business at yeah. a certain point. Yeah. You're going to die. You got to hand the baton off. Otherwise it's over. 
Buddy, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So on one point, my heart and, is warm. Actually, if if you just think about uh, just on the level of denial, because I think maybe your pastor and many others, I would say, want to be maybe in Dude. their soul yes. know what's true. They cannot say it because the other side of the business yes. is please the people that put the money yeah. in the offering yeah, plate, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so you can't go near that. Yes. So you almost need the other generation as kind of like a psychic as outlet an excuse too. as an excuse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Say, so, and all, and you can, you know, behind closed doors and say, Oh, those silly kids, they'll come back to the gospel. They'll right. come back to the truth, but, but you know, they won't. <laughs> yeah. Dude, thank you for adding the third dimension there because I really didn't want to throw this man under the bus. I really, I've always loved him as a pastor and, and still really respect him. So I bet you it's that. Mm-hmm. I bet he's always had these leanings. But my church is a serious church. It's got boards of elders. Mm-hmm. If you preach a certain thing and they don't like it, not only is it your salary, they're paying for your house, they're paying for your life. Oh, they're, I know. Mm-hmm. I know, you know. Tell me about your, did you experience any of that burden? Because it mm. seems to me like, from what I've read, you took over Mars Hill, which yeah. was Rob's church, but you never, correct me if I'm wrong, it, I, I th- believe you said you never really felt like you had to agree with the church. You kind of took the job, but you didn't have to think of the congregation well, it as depends a reflection on, of you. It depends on agree with the church. I mean, what would that mean? I was there from the beginning. I mean, when Rob when Rob started, started Mars Hill, I did the music for the first four years. So... In other words, I was behind the curtain already. Right. Okay. So I knew who was behind the curtain. So who, <laughs> it was you. It wasn't, a, it wasn't like a huge institution that I was like abstractly coming into. Like, do I need to agree with these people? I mean, I, I had seen behind the curtain. So right. it was a little more, it was a little more, um, had a less of an institutional sort of get on board feel. And you were right after Rob. So yeah. I have to imagine Rob was pretty progressive and yeah. with it. What do you mean? Well, I guess I mean, was he at that point preaching Love Wins? Oh, yeah. Love Wins was a sermon. <laughs> you know, it was. Like, long before it was a book, it was a sermon or a couple sermons and then a sticker. And then a few years later, it was, it was the book. Actually, everything... My favorite format is the yeah. sticker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's very succinct. Yeah, it's it to is. That's <laughs> a period. Too. <laughs> In fact. Yeah. But the funny thing about... Um, maybe you know this about Rob. He says... Um, controversial things in a clever, funny, engaging way. So you don't hear what he's saying. I mean, I don't even know if he's doing that intentionally, but I mean, it's like what he was saying at an evangelical mega church would get an ordinary person fired, but because he was funny and interesting, people just sort of said, yeah, we're kind of on board with this. It wasn't until he put stuff down on a piece of paper. That they got. That they said, wait a minute, is that what you're saying? Now it's an object. Now it's an object. Yeah. And now other people are weighing in on the object and saying, blah, blah, blah. This is what I'm talking about with towing the line. It's like uh, a pastor can quietly believe, love wins, by the way, I'm sure people listening are familiar, is the idea that um, it's not about a game of with us or against us, heaven, hell, God can't wait to burn you forever because whatever X, Y, or Z, it's, it's a much more gracious understanding and open and inclusive and loving understanding of the gospel. And more that we got the narrative wrong. Wouldn't you say mm-hmm. it's hard to summarize love wins. Cause it's so 
succinct anyway. But for lack of a better way to say it, it, it took the emphasis off of heaven and hell. Yeah. Wouldn't you say it's about richness and say. fullness and life and vitality now here in the moment, sharing and growing and communicating rather than you're in the club, okay, go live your life. Yeah. It's about something that you marinate in rather than you just kind of get glazed on your hand every Sunday. Okay. So anyway, that was my attempt at summarizing it. Um, well, why did I say that? Rob, what were we saying? We were, we were talking about what was the climate like. Yeah, so he put put it in the book, and then people got mad because other yeah. people started disagreeing, and then he gets kicked out. This is where you're about to come in. Mm. What happened? Well, I wouldn't say get kicked out. Right. Like, what would you say? What did he say? How was he said to you? Oh, I don't know. I just always tell the story in the most interesting way. Yeah. <laughs> kicked out is the best way to say yeah. it. I don't know. I always thought, just like <clears throat> he says in Love Wins, that the narrative had been lost. Maybe his narrative was getting lost, and he didn't feel like he ever intended to lead a megachurch. Uh, yeah, probably not. I mean, he was much more interested in the content and the message in um, popularizing something that he saw as the essence of Jesus's teachings. Even if I don't even think Christianity necessarily, but just the essence of Jesus's teachings. Totally. That's what he was always about. And, um, and all of a sudden, then yeah, there was a mega church with an institution and a budget and employees and, and, you know, whatever retirement and, um, and a heating bills. What when, once love wins became a book, it became something that he stood for. Yeah. This is, this is what I always talk about with pastors and Rob and everybody I wanted to put to you is that burden of the pastor. We take something as kind of juicy and interesting as someone who loves, they just lean towards wanting to talk about the mystery of existence. And then as a, re- a reward for kind of, stepping up to serve and help other people wrestle with the mystery. We then put them in shackles. <laughs> We're yeah. like, thanks. Uh, I'm glad you're going to take that job. Don't have doubts. Yeah. Don't ever feel wishy-washy or strange. You become more like a politician, a mascot. You are up. a politician. Yeah. yeah. You have yeah. to tow certain party lines mm-hmm. and you have to represent. This is where you get the phony baloney. Hey, buddy. Youth pastor yeah. That's just You know he fucking hates me I'm yeah. an asshole yeah, yeah. My youth pastor hated me yeah. But he couldn't tell me Because yeah. he, he had the love of Jesus yeah. And it's H-E-A-R-T Yeah <laughs> it's, you're, You become a giant projection screen For other people Yes, a mirror Yeah, yeah. You're the guy You're the guy yeah. So it's, you um, oh, Go ahead, yeah. tell me everything um, Okay, so <laughs> I think I always had One foot in and one foot out With Christianity Since I was a pretty pretty young. Yeah. And I just kind of quietly, I didn't know I actually had the intellectual freedom or the autonomy to say, I disagree with something. It was just kind of like low level, like, eh, you know, uh, just, I'll, I think I'll smoke some weed and listen to Pearl Jam, you know, um, <laughs> that that's of, often how it comes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, you just reminded me, Jake Johansson has this great joke. I'm pretty sure I get the state right. He's like, I'm from Indiana until I grew up and realized we were free to go. Yeah. And that's a similar yeah. thing. Like what yeah. you just said really resonates with me because I didn't even consider disagreeing. That's right. People yeah. in pressed pants were telling me how it is. Yeah. Why would they lie to me? Yeah. Just take it. Right. Yeah. And also, um, my, my subculture, I knew it so well. I didn't even have an imagination for how to make a living for mm. how to have relationships for what's important um, outside of that framework. Mm-hmm. So even, even uh, like, so part of my story is Mars Hill started. I did the music for a while, became a mega church. I was feeling like, 
I don't know. I'm not a great musician anyway. I just was doing it just for fun, really. Right. right. And which is all Rob, right? It's yeah, like totally. Following your bliss. It's like you love the music. Do the music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 That's exactly yeah, what yeah, happened. Yeah. One time I complained about it. He's yeah. like, "Well, then you do it." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it started. I'm serious. It's like the music sucks. He's like, "You're on." So, yes, yeah. that's great. So, um, then I so I started to get serious about biblical studies. I. I and what, when where are we now? I'm at I'm at Mars Hill leading the leading music. music, and then you get serious. Okay, I get serious. I was an English major in college, but I, I get serious about biblical studies. I realize I don't know anything about the Bible, really, even though I know all of the stories. I don't know anything about it. I don't know what it is. Right. I don't know how to hold it. I, I know there's something in there, but I don't know even know how to dig. Yeah. And um, about the same time, Rob and I started getting into historical Jesus stuff. You know, like Rob is always saying, in the first century this, whatever. Right. We were into that kind of stuff, which is like a gateway drug. You know, it's like, oh, wait, there's a Jewish guy, and it sort of like sucks you into this whole world. Yeah. Um, so I moved to Israel. I moved to Israel. Oh, don't, don't glass over. Tell okay. me some of that stuff. Don't go fast. Okay. Tell me some of that stuff. <laughs> Like because what, like first century stuff? Or I think what do people you mean? are interested, because maybe I yeah. am, is the, like, what were some of those tidbits that, that started as the gateway drug? Because for your curiosity, right? Your, yeah. your faith is becoming more three-dimensional when you start yeah. to consider how the Bible was put together. Is that part of it? Yeah, part of it. And, and again, with the historical Jesus, like, I mean, maybe you grew up too with the, an American Jesus. That's of what course, we had. It's like course. a white guy in a bathrobe with kids and lambs frolicking, and he's nice. <laughs> And he's really nice because his dad is super pissed, and you've got like yes. these two si- two faces of God, the schizophrenic God. Yes. So you kind of need Jesus to sort of balance <laughs> of course, out of badass, you know, right? Badass father who's going to torture people, right? Um, but did you get into the whole like the Gospels were written 150 years after? Was that? Yeah, yeah, that? that's what it started. Yeah. yeah. So all, that's such all a of a trip, man. It is. Why I realize why they keep that from us. I'm sorry I interrupted yeah. you because that is. That's hard to wrap your brain around. Is like these aren't firsthand accounts. They're not. No, no one was taking notes. Next <laughs> no one to was Jesus. taking notes. No, exactly. No <laughs> one was taking notes. And two of the gospels aren't even written by disciples. They're like sort of friend of a friend said. Right. Um, Which two? I, I, I'm acting like I know that. That's news to me. Yeah. It must be. Well, Matthew. Was Mark it? is not a disciple. Mark. And Luke is not a disciple. Interesting. Yeah. And the, and, other, and the other Gospels, Matthew and John, th- those are historically attributed to those two people. Right. But it, they don't sign. Only, uh, only I think Luke is identifiable. We don't need to get into all this. All this I bullshit. love this. Okay. Stuff. Um, Luke is, his, I always say this, it's historically the most accurate Gospel. Uh, well, how do you know? Somebody told me in college. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows that. Because, no, the reason I like to hold that fun fact yeah. with me is because it's just irksome enough to my Christian friends yeah. as this very mild. Teasing, fuck you, to be like, oh, yeah. Luke, the most reliable gospel, <laughs> yeah. or Mark, the one John where is the least reliable, J- and John's the best one. <laughs> totally. I mean, I love John the most, but Mark, he doesn't come back; he dies and isn't resurrected. Is is my favorite little tidbit about Mark? It, that's true. And the I love earliest pointing, manuscripts. That's exactly that's exactly which I love pointing out to people. Oh yeah, yeah isn't there an addendum? Yeah, there's an addendum. There's yeah. an addendum added. Yeah, but this sort of stuff starts to kind of. It's a very important question. Mm. Rob's book, What is the Bible? What is the Bible? Sometimes I think you and I probably had moments of glimpsing into the content and almost like a hologram, something would rise from it. But it's not concrete. It's not this table. Mm -mm. It's not something I can just pick up and carry around. It's not a what would Jesus do bracelet. It's something vague, like falling in love or smelling flowers before you see them. It's very hard to communicate. Or smelling something foul. (laughs) Or smelling some shit before you see it. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. 
Yeah, it could be any of those things. Yeah. And it's filled with doubt and wrestling and ugliness and pain and, and worry and all these things. Yeah. But it got turned into Western Jesus, buddy Jesus, yeah. who just wants you to not be gay, not swear, not drink, and not fuck. And I get very mad about this. I'm talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> so you got into first century Jesus with Rob. Yeah, with Rob. I mean, we started reading the same books. And um, I don't know. I just had this feeling like, I'm going to move to Israel. I'm going to go to grad school. I'm going to find out. And I think I really thought at the time, evangelical Christianity was unraveling for me. It was collapsing. I could not buy really any of the tenets. Mm. Um, and certainly about the Bible, that it's like an inerrant, inerrant. document. I, I, I couldn't exactly say that out loud yet, but in graduate school, you can say whatever the hell you want. It doesn't matter. So that was like a, it was an easy path to take. Yeah. And, um, and I was actually very nervous, if I'm honest. I was very nervous that when I got to Israel and I started studying and I'm, I was in going to graduate classes and taking archaeology and whatever, historical criticism, that I would find out that, in fact, it is inerrant. It is like it would take me. Dude, you were Lee Strobel. <laughs> yeah. You were going the case for Christ and you wanted to find. I, I was afraid that that's what would happen. That's not what happened. Oh, you were worried that you would find that it wasn't Aaron. That's so yes. much more interesting than trying to prove that. Cause that's a best-selling book right there. I know. Like there are all these scientists that are like, if I could write a book that proves the existence of God, like I would write that in a heartbeat, I'd sell a hundred billion copies, yeah. but they couldn't do it. Uh, because that's just not how, you so know, how matter works. works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it's like proving the smelling the shit before you see it. It's hard to kind of talk about. Yeah. But, um, so go on. Yeah. So, so in graduate, school and also just like because i was obsessed for a while i actually found surprisingly that the bible became much more interesting to me so uh the less inerrant it became yeah definitely can you tell me one of the books you read that, that was helpful at this time i mean like uh john dominic crossan i don't know if you've ever run into no. this stuff jesus revolutionary something like that mm. so these are all the um historical jesus people um spong um, these Isn't are there of, very little about the historical Jesus, though? I guess that's why that. Well, what topic... do you mean? Yeah, it depends on what you mean. Like, yeah. what what do we know? We have the four Gospels. Yeah, we have one made up paragraph in Josephus. It's made up. Yeah, most likely. Yeah, that's like an added thing. That's what I always mm, talked about. Really, well, only... Josephus mentioned uh, what, what does he call him? Not a prophet, but like a teacher. I think he does call him a prophet. I, I can't right. remember. It's been a while since I've looked at that. But that was added. Well, it was definitely messed with. There uh, may have been some original sin. There's more about John the Baptist and Josephus than about Jesus. This was the original hacking, by the way. Yeah. Now you yeah. like hack into a mainframe. Back then you just got a scroll and like added something. Way, by the <laughs> way, it wasn't a problem. This is the thing that I think surprises people. Yeah. The fact that the gospel writers took liberties with historical facts, the modern Western scientific mind says that should not, not happen. Yeah. That makes it not true. They were simply following the protocol of the day that was perfectly allowed. Of Semitic storytelling. Yeah. They're telling the fact, not the fact, the feeling. The, yes. Yeah. yeah. And they're communicating their, their particular socio-political religious agenda. That's mm -hmm. what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's allowed. Right. Like if you say, oh, the gospel writers have an agenda, that sounds like like that's a problem. That wasn't a problem to them. Of course right. they have an agenda. Right. They're admitting it. That's why they and go they're out putting their... long speeches in the mouth of Jesus that he obviously didn't say, but they're trying to communicate something of his essence, something of his, what they've heard of his essence, whatever. Right. Right. I don't think, I don't think the writers of the new Testament were trying to fool anybody. I personally don't think that. Yeah. 
They, they were weren't like, hey, let's get together yeah. and let's make up all this bullshit. To have a religion. Yeah, to have a religion because we don't. <laughs> yeah. That's not how the game another one. Yeah. yeah. They weren't they, trying to do that. They were trying to communicate something that's very hard to put into words. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? It's and they were learning about secondhand and they were experiencing what was probably called the church or something like that. They were experiencing this new kind of community and they were just writing about the stories that they heard. Right. Right. Yeah. It's and, like you and I, if no one wrote anything down about the Civil War. Yeah. That's about how long it would be. But we kind of have a sense of it. If oral tradition was stronger. Yeah. And then we kind of wrote these stories. But I share the same passion with you is there's a, there's a, Rob and I always, you've probably heard him say this, any old donkey can tear down a barn, but it takes a special donkey to build a barn. It's easy to go, they contradicted each other, so therefore it's, it's baloney. By our own modern Western standards, it's not factual, it's not, it's not journalism, mm-hmm. so therefore it's baloney. But then it sounds to me like you, you in your debunking, ended up discovering that it was never about being bunked in the first place. Yeah, you can't apply those uh, standards. That's, that does In literary criticism, that's called doing violence to the text, where you take your mm. contemporary perspective and you ram it through. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, by the way, what the, what the right is doing, too, with words like inerrancy and, mm. and saying everything in there is, is historically accurate. They have done more harm to the Bible and to spirituality than anybody else. I right, think these right. uh, fundamentalist literalism right. has, has killed it. They've killed the spirit of it. They've killed the nature of the biblical text. It's not even interesting to people anymore. Right. And that's, isn't this a passion? I, I'm guessing this is a passion of yours. It remains not because it's this book of answers and this perfection, this rock hard block, but because it's a tool or poetry to help feel the mystery. Yeah. Is that more like it? Yeah, I think so. So in my, in my new book, I have a chapter on um, beyond Bible worship, because that, that's what I think we were doing as evangelicals, is worshiping the Bible. As opposed to Christ. Yeah. As opposed to the Or life. even God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just worshiping these words yeah. that give us this false sense of certainty. It's certainty worship. That's exactly what it's it is. certainty worship. Yeah, that's even better. Because it's a product. <laughs> we got to do a new version of the book. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> Your book, by the way, is called Bitten by a Camel. Yeah, Bitten by a Camel, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So anyway, in that chapter, I, I mentioned um, my archaeology professor, and this is what he would say about the Bible. He's a brilliant person, but he would say, the Bible is like a cake. And it just has ingredients. And what are the ingredients? Myth, story, history, by their standards, mm-hmm. um, literary structures, uh, whatever. There's a whole list of, yeah, of yeah, yeah. basically genres of literature, poetry. Um, but we don't know how much of the ingredient is used in each passage. Mm. We don't know how the cake was made. That's what he's saying. Mm. And that's what makes it like troubling and, I think, interesting. So even you cannot even say like, well, the thing is that you have to treat the Bible like a myth. Well, no, you have to treat certain aspects of the Bible like a myth. It is a myth in certain respects, but it's not only that, or you can't say, well, it's just poetry. No, it contains poetry. It's not only poetry. You can't say it's all metaphor. There's no history. No, there's plenty of history in there. It's like King so-and-so reigned for eight years. Yeah. That's history. That's now, it may not be 100% accurate. It, right. may, it may have been nine years or right. whatever by but our It's standards. like watching Star Wars and they cut away to CNN just for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. like, well, this is confusing. That's modern. That's Donald Rumsfeld. Why is he in Star Wars? But that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. And then Yoda tells a poem. Yeah. And it gets pieced together. <laughs> yeah. and, and the editors of the Bible are probably the most brilliant 
uh, ones oh, rather right. than just the authors because they took these, especially like the, the Torah, the first five books, they took those books and edited them. Yeah. And tried to, they didn't How clean it up. I want to see a Larry well, David type trying to edit yeah. the Torah. Is this important? <laughs> we I don't know. give it to Larry David. <laughs> I want to curb your biblical enthusiasm. Curb your Torah. <laughs> yeah. But they were editing, sorry. Yeah, no, they were editing. And they, and they didn't clean it up too much. They left a lot of ambiguities. They left a lot of open questions. But there, was, there is a sense of, of, of a thread through through these passages yeah. and they're, and they're looking for what, what we would call literary illusions. This passage says this word is here. This passage has this image it shows up a little bit later. Right. They were interested in these threads. Right. And it took some, I think, editing and crafting to some deliberate stuff. Mm-hmm. But that, that's a key word I think is deliberate is because it seems to me like you're saying, uh, that these ambiguities, People love to say the Bible contradicts itself. You're saying perhaps the... the so what? <laughs> that's not even a problem. Why is that a problem? Yeah. That's what I would say. Well, to speak to that. I mean, it, isn't it saying that life is mysterious and life has contradictions and life can be... It's trying to have all of the richness of life, including the, that... There are something like 30,000 Protestant denominations that all <laughs> contradicting one another. Yeah. So the idea that the Bible would contain theological contradictions is, is just another way of saying it's alive. It's a living document. Right. And there are competing theologies. There are competing images of God. This is probably thing, things that mo- uh, most Christians don't want to look carefully at. There are competing images of God. There is a tribal mean. Yep. You cannot clean that up. You yeah. cannot clean yeah. up you the You can't fact- just lift it out. No. The, the guy who kills thousands of the priests of Baal. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Elijah just slays them down by the... And then Elijah's praised, you know, for... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever, like the earth opens up and swallows a bunch of people. Now, you can say that didn't happen, which I, I agree, it probably didn't happen, but that was an image of God You're that fine. certain people yeah. were drawn to, and yeah. they're putting it in there. It's just not the only image of God. There are competing theologies. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there is a nicer, gentler one making make a thing you to lie down in green, green pastures and whatnot. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. What, what does that make? Uh, well, you okay, so let's just take some big categories, like Ken Wilber kind of categories: egocentric, ethnocentric, world centric. I don't know something beyond that: ecocentric or yeah. divine consciousness or whatever. Cosmos all of those, centric. yeah, cosmos consciousness. There you go. So they all exist in the Bible. There's an ego consciousness in there. There's a, there is some first person self-protection, fear. Most of the Bible is ethnocentric, hmm. meaning my tribe is the best tribe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fuck the Philistines. Which is so funny because so much of spirituality to me is realizing that all of our tribes and our labels are nonsense. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> but it? that's in the Bible. Yeah, 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 yeah. It takes them a while, you know? It takes I mean, them a while. Like, uh, like in, uh, um, I don't know if you've been to Israel or, or I Manhattan. Have. I can't okay. wait to talk about right. Israel. So, you know, the, um, the, the uh, Orthodox Jews have the payout, the, the long side curls that come down. Yeah. Okay, well, that's in the Bible. It says, don't cut the, in Hebrew, it says, don't cut the corners of your head, which is kind of an odd way of putting it. So, what does that mean? That could mean the, the, your beard. Yeah. It could mean the sides of your head. So, so the Orthodox Jews took it to mean the size of the head. And probably they did also antiquity. Well, the funny thing is, in Egypt, they, the Egyptians carved a battle that happened between the Egyptians and the Philistines. Well, guess what? The Philistines had the side of their head shaved. Wow. And so it was like that obvious, don't yeah. have your hair, don't have the same hairstyle same as the Philistines. Don't because, wear an Eagles jersey. Exactly. <laughs> it is exactly the same thing. Wait, do you love the Eagles? 
Oh, I thought maybe you love the Eagles for a second. So that's, <laughs> I was worried. That's ethnocentric consciousness, and the Bible is full of it. It's right. just not the only one. And then there is a kind of world-centric consciousness. This comes in with the prophets. Yeah. It does. And they, and they are saying um, things like, one day all tribes will come up to Jerusalem and worship God. Well, I, that's not a literal thing. It's a symbolic image of saying you're not the only group that matters. And that kind of world-centric consciousness is hidden all through the biblical text. Yeah. You know, the moment you think, oh, this, that, we've got this thing nailed, we've got the purity lines all lined up, then you have a book like Ruth that comes in that says, you know, Ruth is the grandmother or great-grandmother of King David. She's not even a Jew. She's a Moabitess, and Moabites were hated mm. by the Israel. So it's like, but they even the bloodlines the are hated, You're right? Yeah, the, the, the bloodlines blood are all messed up. That's that's a bit of world centric consciousness coming in, say, saying. Uh, but wouldn't you say that message has been lost because we love to say like all tribes will come to Israel means like eventually my. I, I'm thinking of my friend Azhar, who's Muslim, who I love. We've sat on that porch. We were smoking cigarettes, talking about Islam. It was one of my favorite nights. He's like a hurricane. Normally, when I was young, I would have been like, that passage means (laughs) that one day Azar is going to love Jesus. He's going to shave his beard. It's so Christocentric. It's very, And and that's that's what evangelicals believe about Jews today. That's why they support Israel. It It, is craziness. They say, oh, support Israel. You know what they actually believe? Tell me. That the Jews... Jesus is going to appear in the sky and the Jews, including Larry David, is yeah. going to be like, oh, shit, I was wrong. <laughs> and oh, my God. we're, we're yeah. And if they don't, then Jesus is going to burn them. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. and, and, and the Israelis moment. are OK with this. They're yeah. like, well, we'll, they we'll take it, it however we yeah, can exactly. get it. We'll take like, it however we'll take we your get. money. Yeah. We think you are insane. Yeah. But we will take your money. Ken, you just reminded me we were watching. I was watching a clip of Shonda, Chandra Pierce. She's a Christian comedian. She told this joke about forgetting where she, her husband was buried. Yeah. And then she was like, what am I supposed to do? I guess I could just wait, just wait for Jesus to come back and see where he pops up. Yeah. I was like, that's such a Christian joke. And, it, and you know, as someone who listens to laughs, I'm like listening to the quality of the laugh. And they're yeah. laughing in this way that's like, that's funny. Yeah. I like that it's a reference that we all get. And there's just a twist of like, I mean, but wouldn't he really, wouldn't we see it? I mean, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like it, it calls into question. Do we think he's going to pop up? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, do we literally believe It brings believe up the that? absurd. It brings up the absurd. It's the humor of yeah. the, our beliefs. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, like, they used to bury people face down. So when they'd pop up, you know, like off their feet, they'd be facing Christ. They'd be facing wherever we think Jesus is coming back. And it it's was so maybe, weird. tell me, because you're about to go to Israel in your story. When I started going, when I went there and felt the three-dimensionality of a real place, when I went to Galilee, mm. I started to go like, wait a minute. Not in a, not in a bad way, but like I actually ended, started losing my faith yeah. in Israel. Yeah, you should. I yeah. went, yes, tell me everything. No, I mean, and that's why I still lead trips. Not that I'm trying to destroy people's uh, faith, but I want them to come to Israel so that they can experience, I guess, the three-dimensionality yeah. of it. Breathe the air where that story was said to yeah. take place. It's surprisingly affirming, like, oh, wait a minute. There is a Sea of Galilee. Yeah. You know, the towns existed. Yeah. It's not pure fairy tale. You can go to Jerusalem. You can right. walk around. You can right. walk around in the streets. It's not Hogwarts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> However, 
it immediately leads you to questions like, well, what really happened? It can't be this straightforward. You're blowing my mind. That's you know? exactly what I, we went where Jesus healed the blind man. Mm-hmm. And I'm writing a book. The story's in the book. Cool. Talking about, um, my, my, uh, not pastor, my professor was named Wink. I love Wink. He tells the story that Jesus spits in the mud, puts on the guy's eyes. Guy was born blind. Mm-hmm. Then he praises God loudly and runs home. And when you're there, in a place where there might be like a KFC now, you're yeah. just like, but we know when you heal someone of blindness, it's very confusing for them. <laughs> yeah. Like Stevie Wonder doesn't want sight. Like he's declined. The how would surgery. he know the way home? How would, and yeah. how would he know yeah. the way home? Yeah. That's a, that's a great first question. Secondly, shouldn't there have been like some sort of acclimating period? Yeah. Like he needs help. Yeah. And then I said this to Wink. Jesus didn't do him a favor. That's exactly yeah. right. This man, he just confused the hell out of yeah. this man. So I just said to Wink, I was like, I don't understand. And he just goes, scripture says, and he wouldn't look at me. And he was a very kind, gregarious man. He wouldn't look at me. And he was just like, scripture says he was healed and he ran home. And I was like, yeah, but you know, we know. And he went, scripture said he was healed and he ran home. But it wasn't that he was, you know, cock blocking me. It's that he, I could feel that he wasn't, that he had probably gotten in trouble before. That's right. You know what I'm saying? I yeah, know you're you know not what allowed. I'm saying. You're not allowed to say I that. I was watching a guy, like when a kid asks you a question and it's breaking your heart that you can't say, yeah, but it's not supposed to be read that way. Yeah. But I was at Ju- Jerusalem University College. Yes. Oh, I went there. You did not. Yes, I did. Shut. The I did an fuck MA up. there. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did an MA there, and then I and then after that, I went to the Hebrew University. Yeah. No yeah. way. Yeah. Jaffa Gate. Oh yeah, totally. Get out of my house. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. What you went there for? Just like for like a three week thing for a semester for four <laughs> three months four four months or something. That's Weird. crazy. Yeah. So we probably walked the same way. Oh, definitely. Did you? We sat in some of those same classrooms for sure. That's insane. Well, there's only like three of them. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's insane. It looks like Star Wars. Yeah. It, it's like those rounded doors, everything's stone and old, very slippery stone. Yeah. So that was, so you had a similar, when you went to Israel, did that happen to you? Yes. Uh, I remember one time actually I was out, um, we were on a field study and we were looking at the Mount of Olives and my friend Keith said, do you think the Ascension was literal? I actually put this story in the book. <laughs> and we both started laughing. I don't, I have no idea why. We were kind of embarrassed that we were laughing. Dude. Other students were like uh, looking away, trying to avoid us. It just was so funny yeah. to think about a man like with a jet pack on, just yeah. Yeah. like, where did he go? Yeah. Like, where? That's Joseph Campbell. Where yeah. could he have gone? <laughs> yeah. Where, where could he go? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he said, well, Joseph Campbell would say he went within. It's a metaphor. It's, that, uh, yeah, but you're not allowed to think symbolically right? as an evangelical. You're Even not. though these are the most symbolic writing, not of all time, but they were very symbolic people. Yeah. Yeah. How do you explain to a bunch of illiterate people or, or you know, different I don't know how illiterate they were, but they had a, a Some different... Some people were illiterate. If we yeah. have illiterate people now, they're definitely <laughs> illiterate people then. <laughs> I know, but I, do, I don't like to think about antiquity as a bunch of just primitive people. You're totally right. Could, yeah. You're totally Couldn't right. read and write and they just needed images. No, I don't yeah. think so. I think they had a mythic imagination yeah. that we've lost. That's so much better. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you're a fan of Joseph Campbell, so, I mean, you know, yeah. The, yeah. There, there's a lot of potency to these major myths and stories, but, but, it, but yeah. the people held them as... They held them in such a way that they did shape their lives. Mm. We have killed all the mythic imagination by trying to turn it into some literal, Garbage. you know. Yeah, they ironed right. it out. Yeah. They steam cleaned it. Yeah. Because if the ascension isn't literal, what do we lose? We lose certainty. Yeah. What do we gain? 
the ability for it to happen to you. Yeah. That you can get ascending. Yeah. Otherwise, and this is something Rob and I talk about, you're just worshiping something that may or may not have happened in the path. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> One, uh, a scholar that I, I like I like a lot, I mentioned him a few minutes ago, John Dominic Crossan. So a few years ago, I did a program with the Discovery Channel where we went around. It's like one of those, like, who was Jesus what really? What was it called? Um, Jesus, the Missing History. It was just oh, like right. a one-time air, you know, Easter kind of thing. I got fired from a different job because of this. You can ask me about that in a minute. Oh, I will. I'll write but anyway, down. so John Dominic Crossan, they asked me, who do you want on the show? I said, I want that guy on the show. Cause I just really, plus he's Irish and he's funny and he's just, and he kept the accent. I hope he did totally good. So he was on and one day the cameras weren't rolling. We were sitting there and we were talking about walking on water. he said, let, let me ask you a question. He said, suppose Jesus walked on water and it literally happened. What is the point of the story? That's what he's saying to me. I was like, I don't know. He's like, the point of the story is that he walked on water. Right. That's the point of the story. Like how amazing he walked on water. Right. It's like, and other people can't, you know, like there's, there's doesn't take you, there's no depth there. Other people can't, other people can't. He did. That's the point of the story. And it has to be literal for that to work. So he said, if you, if you start with the assumption that it's not literal, then you have to ask then Why is it there? Yes. And then you're into the mythic realm. Now you're You're into the symbolic realm. You're into the depths. Non-duality, land, water. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it just plunges you into a whole symbolic universe that plunges. is tapping into your soul. Yes. And, but we cut that off yeah. by saying yeah. he had to do it. You're actually you know? robbing it by giving it what you think is your utmost respect. Exactly. And giving it literal truth and going, no, this is real in the way that I had a cup of coffee earlier. Yeah. You saw me drink it. Yeah. It's that real. Uh, you're actually taking all of the juice out of it, yeah. which is, I, this is why I, I've had a lot of, as many people as I can like you on to get that message out there that you're not disrespecting the story. You're meeting it where it has its hand out to you. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I mean, it, I mean, I think the enlightenment modernism is to blame, so to speak, but, but I don't even think we can condemn them for it. When these categories of truth first emerged, scientific, empirical methods, what else are you going to do with them except apply them to everything? Right. We and have a new filter. Exactly. And, yeah. and it's done a lot of good. And even with biblical studies, we now can say very clearly by, by going after the history and the archaeology, this or that event did or did not happen. I mean, it, 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 there's a kind of gift to it, mm. but it, it localizes truth only in the realm of the empirical method. And the stories yeah. never were – they weren't operating with that right. same lens. Right. That, that's something I wrote in my book is I, I used to wish that there was a photographer at the Last Supper or whatever. And, and now I'm like, what? And ruin it? Yeah. <laughs> you would ruin it. Yeah. It's supposed to be – I kind of think it's a little bit the way people feel, speaking of Harry Potter, even though they did a great job with the movies, the real diehard Harry Potter people, which I'm not one of, but will watch it and be like, it was better in the book. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was better as a myth. Yeah. And yeah, you can make it into the Jesus film. It's mm. better as a myth. Yeah. It, it, it reaches you more. What do you do? Cause I wonder, I have no answer to this. I wonder what you think when we hear about, like, I'm going to forget all their names, such as something, Baba. Like when you hear stories of people in India, mystics in India that do walk on water, are you open to literal magic in any way? I know it doesn't matter. I want you to know that I know that it doesn't really matter. But there are people that are like, yeah, 10,000 people watch this guy make the sun dance. You know, something like that. I think the deep unconscious and the way it's manifested 
can uh, function in surprising ways. Mm. So I mean, this is more Jungian, but um, that speaking of symbols, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I don't know who that character actually. Was. Jung said if you were to take away all religious symbols, the entire planet suddenly it's like a blank slate. Mm. Then still, humanity's deep unconscious would bring forth symbols, new ones, new ones, and they would sometimes manifest. In kind of surprising things like the sun is dancing. Now, is it actually dancing? Is that guy actually walking on water? Oh, interesting. I don't think so. But it's whenever you response you're, to the yearning of the deep unconscious, it is, and it's also it it produces occasionally what we would call a shift in consciousness. Yeah, you or know? magic. Something yeah. that could be perceived as magic. Something that that we might call magic, yeah. but it may just be an altered state of consciousness in which yeah. you're understanding the world in a certain way. Yeah, I've taken mushrooms many times in this house and had very profound experiences. Yeah. That and were, they're real. That's they're, what I'm saying. They totally, weren't real, but they were they're, fucking exactly, real. Exactly. They're they 100% were fucking real. real. Yeah. Have you, I don't want to get you in trouble. Have you dabbled at all? No, I have not. I've, um, I have an interest. I've done, I've done other things. I've done a vision fast. Oh, so this is, is that? Tell um, me everything. Well, it's a contemporary form. Um, so I got connected with this place in Colorado called the Animus Valley it's Institute. Colorado. I know <laughs> the Animus, Animus, Animus Valley Institute, Assassin's Creed. <laughs> no, <That's- laughs> Animus is a valley actually. Oh, okay, um, and it's not connected to Jungian Animus, the word. Um, but anyway, so this is Bill Plotkin, psychotherapist, has been been. I've been really influenced by his work. I've done all kinds of his programs, retreats. In fact, I'm in, uh, tomorrow. I go to Joshua Tree for another program. Oh, cool. Um, and he has a kind of contemporary v- version of the vision fast, which is a trans-religious, transcultural kind of thing. How do we know that? Jesus did a, quote, vision fast. He went mm-hmm. out in the wilderness and didn't do anything for 40 days. 40 days. Yeah. So um, it's like a rite of passage. So um, so I did one. They're, they're like 10 or 12 days long, four of which are no food um, solo in the wilderness. Get out. Yeah. So this the reason why I'm going to bring this up is because mushrooms in a sense is like a, like a shortcut totally to that kind Cutting of the line. thing. Yeah. yeah. And so I do have an interest in, in uh, psychotropic drugs, but I just, I, I haven't. Tell me what happened on your, on your vision <sighs> quest. I get to say that. I know. Tell me. I, what I almost feel bad saying quest. it because people, um, it's hard to explain. In fact, the, I'd be so disappointed if it was easy to, yeah, explain. I know <laughs> in fact, because one thing I want to be respectful of native American, tribes who had have, have still have this as part of their tradition. So I'm not saying I went out and did what they did. Sure. I did a contemporary, uh, version of it. Yeah. Um, but even the, the Lakota people, the word is not vision quest. That's a, that's British anthropology, you know, their lens. Yeah. They, they ask them, what do you do out there? We have a vision and it's, yeah. And, and it's not questing. here. <laughs> yeah. It's over there and we have a vision. Exactly. Oh, vision quest. Vision. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. All right. White people. Yeah, exactly. You've ruined another thing, but they called it a lament. A lament. So you have to go out and grieve. And it was mainly for, for young men in, in antiquity um, because the tribe, the community, the world suffers and you need young people to come up. You, you need them to have an, a radical experience of, of raw nature mm. and what we would call their, their soul, mm. their deep self. And when they bring that back to the community, that helps the community survive and live. We need a fresh vision, basically, for right. life and for meaning and for um, change and whatever. Right. So, And people are different when they've contemplated something. Definitely. I was just listening. It was actually a friend of mine uh, giving someone advice to be like, 
you really need to sit with what people are saying about you and what, what this issue is and this issue is because when you talk about it, I can tell that you haven't let it in. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Like you feel your now to use a new agey feel your vibration is different when you're really listening, when you're really locked in, when you're really considering or having empathy, people feel it. So you send a young person off, really find your big self, come back. It changes everybody. I it does. It creates a space. Yeah. And in fact, the elders, this is in a, in a book called Black Elk Speaks. So when Black Elk would, uh, came back from a vision fast, the community enacted it like, like, a, like a sacred drama. I mean, wow. the characters. You're this person. You're this person. Wow. Because it needed to. And, and that's so interesting it that elders. Expression. That elders would be interested in the vision of young people. Think about that with the gun yeah. stuff right now. Yeah. What should Donald Trump be doing? Joining the kids right. saying, teach me something. Yeah. Instead of going, let me explain something to I you. I know. It's, that that is so beautiful. Because we don't have any elders. We, right. we don't, they don't know what that is. I know. So, I know. Uh, when I think of how old Trump is, I'm like, what a fucking... I, you're not supposed to let down. I was yeah. going to say Jip. You're not supposed to say Jip. Yeah. <laughs> Out of respect for gypsies. Uh, you, what were we saying? We we're talking about the vision fast. Yeah. What happened on yours? They reenacted. That's so cool. I know it is. And cool. I'm rewatching Seinfeld. It's such a shame. Like I yearn for those things. Like what, when like we were, rites of passage or yes, like uh, all of it. When we were so not bored, but so in the moment, I suppose, not just killing huge swaths of time with massive distractions. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like sometimes I consider it and I'm just like, that's why you, you wrote a book. I have to imagine that your process of, of writing and digging into your consciousness feels better than just watching flight of the navigator again. Yeah. I mean, if you can face the demons of fear and lethargy at the end of the bed yeah, and, or on your phone, you know, if you can face those and you get up and you start, yeah, then it, something wants to be born. I don't know if that's experience. That is my experience. Yeah. It, it wants to come out, yeah. but it cannot. That's the sad thing about any soul oriented task. You can die. You can lay there in your deathbed and be like, fuck it. I didn't do it. Yeah. You know, I didn't, dig. I didn't right. do the work. I didn't bring forth what wanted to, that to be brought forth in the world. It's, it's sad. It's a crime. Yeah. I, I that I relate to that so hard as I'm like, I think if you told me I was, I had that till the end of the day to live, I would be like, fuck, why didn't I do more quiet things, more digging, more yeah. contemplating? Yeah. Cause it's not, no one's going to go. I wish I saw season four of bones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just not something you say. <laughs> yeah. And like when you consider, yeah. The euphoria, and I'm not talking about it, people need to be paid to write books. I'm talking about the digging. It feels good to find, discover, polish, present, like no matter how you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Even if you just journal in the morning and then later you find yourself speaking to a friend with more clarity on an mm-hmm. emotional issue you're going through because you took the time to put it onto paper. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I'm hearing from this quest. What yeah. was your quest like? Um, well, some of it, I think, has How to... How long rem- did you not eat? I'm so sorry. Four days. Wow. Four days. And and solo. This is in Utah. I did, it, I did it in Utah. And you're just alone for four days. You pick your spot. You stay in your spot. It's, it is wild. So what do you... Tell what me. Do you, you all, <laughs> well, I, can, I won't tell you everything, and I'll tell you why. There's, uh, I, I'm just thinking of one line from a poem. Tell a wise person or else be silent. I don't know what poem that is. It just popped into my head. And so there are certain things that I think, no, 
I have to let those things work on me. I can't turn them around. I understand. I can't they lose sell some them. of their magic, some they of their do. power. They do. But what it's happens? It's not a story. In fact, that's such a mushroom thing is to go, I'm going to take this wet stone experience and I'm going to walk it back to the beach towel and it's going to be dry by the time I get it to my mm-hmm. friends. And they're going to see this stupid, dry, gray stone. Yeah. And I was like, I could see my reflection in it at the water. <laughs> I could see my own soul. And suddenly <laughs> yeah. that changes how I think about it. Yeah. You've ru- I've ruined it for myself. Yeah. But when you have those little private uh, revelations, I, I, I think I understand what you're saying. Yeah. So uh, a couple things that are, are probably worth mentioning about it. Um, so sometimes it might be helpful to think about, I got this from Bill Plotkin, but there are different windows of knowing. And one of them is thinking. That's the primary one that most people use. Yeah. So thinking, feeling, sensing, and imagination. Well, what happens on a vision fast, fast is that your thinking mind really stops working hmm. because it doesn't have anything to think about. And, and so sometimes it will take over. The ego might take over. The thinking mind might take over. Like I found it right at the end of my vision fast. I started redoing my resume in my head. Wow. So weird things happen like that. Like, why am I doing my Ram resume? Ramdas says when you, when you really start meditating, you'll regret everything you've put in your brain. Yeah. Because he'll be sitting there and doing Latin verb tenses. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> shit. He's like, it's better than resume. Yeah. No, I think what you're doing is the modern version yeah. of just nonsense yeah. that you crammed in there. Yeah. But so you, your thinking so the, brain, it's consciousness without an object. You have nothing to think about. Yeah. Except maybe you, you, trees. you're closer to the raw experience of nature and to your own, um, uh, interconnect the, the interconnected web that is mm. like it, it takes a, it takes a, a day or so, but it's for me, it, it felt like the natural world accepted my presence and it was very hard for me to like let you in. Yeah. Let me in. Exactly. The birds and the trees and the, and the hills and the clouds and the stars, it, you, there's a kind of incredible intimacy that happens that does not happen if you just go to the beach for, for the day and be yeah. like, oh, what a beautiful sunset. I mean, there's yeah. some beauty to that. There's some wonder, but there's not this kind of direct intimacy. So that happens. Mm. And it's not what you think that everything is good because you're very exposed. That's the thing that breaks the ego down. You're, you're not eating. You are exposed to the elements. I didn't have a tent. Yeah. You know, I'm just sleeping outside. I had a tarp in case it rained. I mean, I'd like to pull a tarp over me, I suppose, but it's cold at night. Um, it's scary. There are wild animals. So you, you know, you're not in control. You're like, I, I am, I can be eaten by a mountain lion. And it's not like there are mountain lions. They might also come up and talk to me. Who knows? That's the kind of, that's the, the space that you're inhabiting. It's very... You're reminding me there's a quote that says, a, a true yogi has nothing to fear in the jungle. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about in India, you know, you go into the, the wilderness, but if you're really sitting at the table with the stars and the clouds and the ground, that you you blend into it. It mm-hmm. sounds like you kind of had a little bit of that merging. Yeah, that's exactly. It sounds right. like you were scared shitless. I mean, it sounds Well, I wasn't a fear, but there's a kind of like reverent fear that maybe feels more like awe than yeah. just like scared out of your mind. Do you Plus, have anything to con- contact other? No, like okay. is there a lifeline button? No, there's no lifeline button. Although uh, you go out in pairs. So I knew where one other person was. Oh, uh, okay. And, and, and he wasn't too far away. I mean, it, kind of a long walk. Yeah. I mean, we're in, you know, very wild places, Yeah, which is the other gift of you just, most people don't have an experience with wild places. They, they've never been outside yeah. in that kind of 
wilderness. But uh, anyway, so sleeping bag. Yep, has sleeping bag. Yep. Yeah, and so I, can, I had an emergency food rations. I mean, they, they take precautions. I mean, they've been yeah. doing this since the 1980s. They don't want to do anything stupid, but, right? Um, there is a real sense that no, this is dang- dangerous. You know, he's, I could like break my leg. Wow. And there's a way to check in with your partner. So like we had a meeting spot and we wouldn't see each other because you want to be alone for four days. So I would move a rock in the morning and then he would come back and move the rock at night. And then I would go back in the morning and move the rock. And then, so if the rock was a move when I got there, then I know there's a problem. I have to go find him. No yeah. way. Yeah. This is a very primitive kind of. That's so funny. All I would think, uh, it's probably like 11 a.m. I'm like, is it time to move the rock? <laughs> <laughs> I think I should probably move the rock. I don't want to freak anybody out. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. And so day three, four, you're doing your resume, but you're also, I know it's hard to put into words, but you're feeling yeah, a so- little bit of oneness or what? I am feeling some oneness. I hate that I'm trying to turn this into a product that we can sell, yeah, by the yeah, way, yeah. but I, I would love a little... I would say I'm feeling... I like the word intimacy. That was what was coming up yeah. before. There was a kind of intimate acceptance of of who I am in the landscape. And there were some hard things, too. So I, um, I'm also into dream work. So I had some kind of crazy dreams. I enacted some dreams. So that's one way of working with them. What do you mean? You put them on like a play. Like, For uh, yourself. Yeah, you put them on. It's like you go into them in your deep imagination. But when you're all alone, you can like stand up and be different characters. And, you know, so I did some of that. So that's a little bit working with your unconscious. I wish and, people could see my face. I'm yeah. so excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, dreams are huge, man. Yeah. I, even like... The least spiritual layperson can have a dream, you know what I mean by layperson, just not interested, can have a dream and be like, that, well, that's a life changer. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's the time for your subconscious to really grab you. It I, does. It comes It comes out of hiding and wants to get your attention, but we don't know how to give it attention. So the kind of dream work that I'm into is just like turning attention. It's not interpretive. Like I saw a raccoon and raccoons mean, you know, yeah. get a new job. <laughs> right, you know? right, right. It's not that kind of thing. You're, you're working with the content of the image itself and the emotional content of it. Um, and you must remember, I'm not asking you to tell us, but you must remember those dreams. They were probably I do. very vivid. Yeah. 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 Are you going to bed at sunset? Uh, yeah. Well, time also gets really messed up. It's like, have you read Rob's play? Uh, which no, uh, he talks, there's a line where he goes, time gets bendy. Yeah. Okay. Such a good line. Yeah. Bendy time is bendy. So yeah. that's a good way of putting it. Um, you're, you're sort of tired. So I took like naps during that. You're also not eating and yeah. you know, the, the nights are cold and the days are hot. So, um, yeah, no, I'm not going to bed at sunset necessarily. In fact, one, one night I was like, I'm going to stay up and wait for the moon to rise, you know, <laughs> just why, why not? <laughs> you know, and, they're, and, they're, and, and what they're, am I doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there are so many stars, by the way, in, in certain parts of the, of the United States that are disappearing that it's hard to pick out constellations. That was, that was kind of wild. Cause I love the night sky, like look for Orion or whatever. Yeah. Like I even have connections with certain constellations and, and I couldn't even find them cause it's just too like, many. They're too many. Yeah. They're too many. I'm like, where, where am I? You don't know where you are. Everything feels looks like strange. someone just poured a sprite. Yeah. So I did, I did one, um, they give you suggestions. The guides give you suggestions. So they send you out, there's a bunch of pre stuff and post stuff, but they send you out with a couple suggestions, which they tell you do whatever you want, you know, just open yourself up to the mystery of your, of your soul and the wild world and God, if you believe in God, um, just open yourself up, but a couple suggestions. So one was, you might like this one was (laughs) collect small sticks that represent 
uh, important stories, people, interactions, things that you hate, things that you love. Just collect them. Hmm. Collect them as you go around. And then at night, after the sun goes down and it's dark, dark, dark. Um, which is also that this, by the way, is also another sort of mind trick that happens. It's hard to know when it's when it's dark. It's a strange feeling. <laughs> is it dark? I don't know. Like it's that's what I mean. Like time is bendy. You're just is in it, it. You're just in it. What is uh, dark? Is it night right yeah, now? Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. We know it's night because we're watching TV. Exactly. <laughs> we know it's nighttime. But when you're out in it, you're like it's just what it is. Anyway. Um, then you have like a ceremonial fire with these sticks and you, you there, I did different things with it, but I, I basically spoke bits and pieces of these, this story out loud and put them in the fire and which is, it has its own symbolic sort of that's like content jo- anyway. That's straight. Joseph Campbell was, yeah. there was a, a cave that he went in and you're supposed to collect stones and the stones represent people. Mm-hmm. And there's all these passages as you go on, like little crevices that you have to kind of shimmy through and to go through, you have to give one of the stones yeah. to the guy that's blocking the way. Interesting. So on the, at the end you have to give away in my case, obviously it would be my wife. You have to give them the stone that represents your wife. These are the sorts of things that I, I think we're all aching for. You we hear are. that story and you're like, because I was just having a conversation about death and, and whether or not it's about collecting experiences, like we're really going to be on our deathbeds going like, I went to Yosemite. Like, are we really going to go like, I had a motorbike? I don't think so. I think it's going to be more like the cave, giving up everything and realizing that there you still are in a cave shimmying. You know what I mean? Going somewhere mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with your sticks or your rocks. Mm. But we don't have a lot of that message of surrender we have the other thing which is i had this that you like my house i had this house yeah i really think god fucking help me if i'm on my deathbed going i had a house <laughs> i know i, I understand know. achieving feels good and, and especially the people that came from feels good for a second it feels good for a second yeah, yeah for sure yeah. uh but you were saying with the six so you would burn the sticks yeah you burn the sticks and you watch each one even burn. the good ones and the bad ones yeah everything and, and it's it, i my way of understanding it was that i'm just offering up who I am, who I've known myself to be up to this point. Because mm. I think that's a first half of life, second half of life thing. I think I know myself until you don't. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, oh, shit, I, I don't know who I am anymore. So in a sense, you're offering up who you thought you were mm. and all of the stories that shaped you and the experiences that shaped you. And I had a, like a lot of grief and a lot of joy. Surprising things came up, stuff I'd forgotten about. Mm. And you just watch them burn up in the fire. There they go. Mm. There they go. And, you, and, you, and I, I think it's asking for a certain measure of trust that something of your life can be burned up and transformed, mm. can be can. Be, you know, it's like an alchemical thing. Can the, the, all of the potency is there, but it has to be released. And hmm. I think that's the, kind of the, um, the psychological, um, invitation that's happening with, with of an exercise course. like this. Yeah. But it matters. Like objects matter more than we even think they do. Yeah. I was talking, even though I make television, one of my favorite books is called The Four Arguments for the Elimination of Television. Oh, yeah, yeah. So really, have you read it? I, it's on my shelf. I see it up there. It's, <laughs> it's above my television. It's surprisingly good. <laughs> I've never read even it. Even though I watch and love and make television, yeah. you can watch and love and make television and still love this book. Yeah. Um, and he talks about being a kid. Obviously, he wrote this in the 70s, so he was probably a kid in the you know 40s, no, 50s probably. Mm-hmm. And he was a little kid. And just having like a stone that meant a lot to him mm-hmm. and like having that projection of whatever it might be. It's a sacred object. It's, it becomes sacred, but we don't have 
sacred object. I know. Even if we fall in love with a show, yeah. I mean, something might be coming out. Like we're recognizing ourselves in a great show, yeah. or a great story. But right. but it's in this the, this it's sea the of disposable stuff. Yeah. You know, like yeah. where where is it? And right. it's gone. And the next right. next cool thing is that was something that um, Michael Mead, I think, yeah. talked about. They used to carve koans and and maxims, little mm-hmm. proverbs into wood mm-hmm. and they'd make the student carry that. Yeah. So it was like, if you hear God comes to us disguised as our lives, yeah. you write that, you carve it, you do it yourself into yeah. stone. And then you have to carry this cumbersome piece of wood with you in your book bag, mm-hmm. which was already crowded because that's, it belong. It deserves for a year. Yeah. It deserves that much space in your consciousness and your physical world. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the reasons why, Sometimes people on this pod, fans of the podcast want us to release like vinyl or something because right now, what is this? You're just yeah. kind of picking it up on the wind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it would be nice to have a, a box set of something to go like, this exists. Yeah, this exists. This is a real object that yeah. I can hold in my hand. Yeah. It's one of the, like, I think we like that we can see the lines on records, even the way that you look at a tree, like at the inside of a tree. Oh, like, yeah, this is where yeah. the music mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Whereas a CD, it's got nothing for you. It's just your reflection. It's like, go fuck yourself. It's like, there you are. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, shit, it's all rainbowy and you don't understand. That's a lonely feeling. It is a lonely feeling. So this sounds amazing. What is the company that does this? Or maybe you don't, is that something you can share? What? The, the people in Utah. Yeah. And, no, this is through Animus Valley Institute. Oh, that's right. You Same people. Yeah. Me. Bill Plotkin. Uh, it's his, it's his group. And now I'm, I'm, I've gotten so into this that I'm in their guide training programs. So. No yeah. way. Yeah. I want so, you so, to guide me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. I mean, um, I'm going to look that up. That sounds something like that would be very hard to do. Yeah. And they offer a variety. I mean, I, I got into this. It's how I got into this is kind of funny. So back when I was a pastor, I still was not, something was not right. My life was not right. I I went to a therapist and I said, um, I'm afraid I'm going to fuck my life up. And he said, I'm here to make sure this happens. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I had a, I had a, he was, a, that was a good therapy moment, but something Wait, was he like, wanted you to fuck your yeah, life up. Yeah. He, instead that, that's what I mean. I had a good therapist. Most would say, I'll make sure that doesn't happen. He See? said, I'm here to make sure that, that this, but happens. that's straight falling upward, right? You it's just totally, tell the person's second totally. life. He's like, I want you to fuck up yes. your life. So I met uh, about the same time I met Richard Rohr, who I know uh, you're, oh, you're a fan of. So big. yeah. And he's the one that introduced me, not personally, but through you know his footnotes or whatever, Bill Plotkin, the, the guy who who wow. I've been um, working with now. So, um, and I, I met Richard Rohr once, and I almost like sheepishly, it's like I needed his permission. I was like, "Hey, Richard, you know, wh- what do you think about Bill Plotkin?" I was thinking about doing some of his programs. He's like, "You should do it." I mean, it doesn't it, Richard Rohr doesn't even know me, but yeah, he was yeah. like, "You should do that." Yeah, and yeah. I don't know. I needed that kind of like I was not in a place where I well, talk maybe, about no elders. Richard Rohr is totally the the elder. Definitely. For all of us. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, I, I don't have any grandparents. And even if I did, I feel like so many of our older people are just like us. Yeah. You know, they're, they're older not, people. They're, they're elders. They're older people. <laughs> <laughs> they're older teenagers. That's is what they that's are. It. That's it. They're out it. on the golf course. Yes. Know, just that's why chilling. I'm not shitting on my dad, but when I, whenever I see him in like a leather sleeved black jacket, like a baseball jacket that says like hard rock cafe, Toronto, <laughs> that's like new. I go, dad, 
It has to be more than that. Yeah. That can't be what you're telling me my life is about, is that when I'm 73, I will go to the Hard Rock Cafe Toronto and buy the goddamn jacket. You have to give me more richness than that. Exactly. So that would be a great object if on a vision fast to burn. Yes. You know? Yes. So anyway. This is exciting. I'm excited. Yeah, you were saying you got Richard Rohr's permission. Yeah, I to did. He was—he just and... sort of said, "Yeah, you should definitely do it." I think he's—he's he's offering something well, that other people are not, and yeah. um, and I don't know. It opened up a whole world for me. Well, yeah. Richard on this podcast said, whenever he goes into the—I think it was on this podcast when, it, or maybe I read it. Who cares? When he would do silent retreats, like mm-hmm. the one you did, he said always at the by the end of it, he goes, "I don't have to read any books." I don't have to write any books. I don't have to listen to another lecture. Yeah. Because he realizes that everything he knows, whenever you learn something, you're just identifying it in the place within. where it already was within you. Exactly. See the plot of every movie for other examples of this. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. We see it and we know, but it's in that very unsacred way the mm-hmm. passing, the fleeting. Like we get the chills when you watch the movie. But it kind of flies away as soon as it's done. Yeah. Um, so you got fired on Easter. Wait, Easter fired. What did that mean? What? what uh, you said you got fired. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To do with no, Easter. this is way back with the Discovery Channel. So I was teaching high school at a Christian sort of fundamentalist. Um, I was teaching Bible. So after Israel, by the way. So we could also talk a little bit more about Israel. And if you want. Yeah. So to stay chronological, I won't forget Easter fired. You went to Israel. Is the ascension real? What else happened? Because you started taking people there. Yeah. I, I eventually came back to the States. And for a bunch of reasons, Israel is a very hard place to live. And it took way? its toll. Well, it's a foreign country. Yep. It's uh, did an you international... Did whole tavern? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You did? Yeah. yeah. Get out of I here. Know. so funny. You went to the blue... Like, Opus from Bloom County was on the sign. At least it was what I got I don't there. remember that, but... And they had the happy hour. Um, yeah, definitely. I've been there. Every JUC student goes there. Yeah, yeah. So I am tickled. But I'm married. I have kids. And it's expensive. It's hard. It wears on you. It wears on you. It wears on you. It's hard to pay your bills. You're like going to the post office to pay your, pay your light bill, you know, this yeah. kind of stuff. And when I was there, um, this was the middle of the second Antifada. So bus bombings, uh, suicide bombings. I was there security. for the first one, 2000. And 2000 okay, so I moved there. there in 2003. Okay. And this was like, things were going nuts. Yeah, we would see the skyline lighting up like, oh, there's a, a war. <laughs> Basically, yeah, exactly. They're crazy, and I don't know if it was just being kind of naive that kept us there. That's probably there's probably some truth to that. That was me, and and also, and then we found a, a group of sort of international Christian ish people that was our community, you know, and and that made it worth it. And they had kids, and we had kids, and and we all lived in a pretty small neighborhood, and that that was a great gift that was a major loss coming back to america you know you've got you're walking everywhere you've got neighbors you mm-hmm. know you just now you're in the suburb land and whatever <laughs> but anyway um yeah so i moved back and i had no idea what to do i knew that my faith didn't work but i didn't know what to do about it mm. i didn't have the guts to say something like i'm not a christian and it's time to 
sell fly fishing rods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I didn't know what to do. And I also, at the same time, really was still into the Bible, like in a, in a, I had learned so much and I wanted to turn that around. You know, I wanted to like get it out of my system and somebody offered me a job teaching high school and I, they have a statement of faith. You know, I looked at every single thing on the statement of faith. The Bible is the inherent word of God. The Trinity is three persons. You know, I look at that and I say, I don't believe any of this, Yeah, but I really don't care. <laughs> and you were like some of my professors at Gordon. Yeah. They had to sign that too. Exactly. I did too. Yeah. And a lot of the students. So we're like, going to play a game yeah. is what that means. Yeah. And, yeah. and we're going to pretend that this is really important. Right. And we're not really going to be too open about the truth. So right. anyway, but that, that, in my experience, you can only live like that for so long. I think something gets killed also. So I was teaching high school and I loved it. I loved it. Cause I had, you know, I'm just stuck in a classroom with teenagers mm. who have, ne- who think, they know something about the Bible. They've been told a lot, but they, they don't know anything. Right. Nobody does. Right. You know, they don't even know the stories, much less all this mythopoetic stuff and the nuances in first century this and blah, blah, blah. So I, I was enjoying it. And then by chance, I made this program with Discovery Channel through a weird connection. They like needed someone who wasn't just a PhD mm. and was younger. I was younger then. So I made the program. It aired on a Sunday. Hmm. And I question things about the historical Jesus, you know, really in mild things. Yeah. Like, like what did Herod really, what did Herod really ever try to kill the babies in Bethlehem? You know, <laughs> or is that a story? You know, I just said like, I just questioned, you just presented the presented question, the, the option, the options. This is I, why oh, I came in on a Monday and I was fired. That was it. We cannot have yeah. a teacher in the classroom that has questions yeah. about God or this, the Bible. I just don't understand that. There's several friends, close friends. One of them's in Grand Rapids. Uh, although he could do it now, probably. But there are friends of mine that I want to have on the podcast, former prof- pr- professors of mine who are still professors at Gordon, who I would love to have on, but I think they might get fired. And it's not because I'm a they bad boy. They will get fired. It's because the things that they would get fired for are so mild. I know. Like, I just want to be clear. I'm not trying to sound cool. I just mean, like, are you open to this not being literally true could be a huge fucking problem. Exactly. And get them fired. So you were fired. I was fired. How yeah. did they fire you? I came. They were uh, like, this isn't a metaphor. You're fired. <laughs> they called me and said, you can't come into work today. Come in after school's out. So I went in, met with the principal, fine people and the superintendent. And they said, no, we have parents who say we will not allow our child in a classroom with this heretic. And I was out. So, wow. yeah. And I, I decided it and it hurt. Like I, I could not walk you away were, like a triumph. Like, yeah, fuck the man. No, I was like, I was hurt by it. Of course like, you were. And, and I said, let me ride the semester out and I'll leave quietly. They're like, no, we can't have any kind of heresy, you know, which backfires. Probably every kid that I had in class is now like an atheist. Really? Because they saw what they did to me. Dude, you, know? you got dead poet society. <laughs> yeah, totally. I wish. You I wish. did. <laughs> if oh, you had gone in, they would, yeah, yeah, you would have been standing on desks. <laughs> totally. You got, they struck you down, but you rose up 10 times as strong. <laughs> That's I wish hilarious. It, was that. it actually just hurt more, you know, I just, and it, and it added to my, here's what I'm grateful for. It added to the existential angst. It, it, poured gasoline on it. And that's what needed to happen. Mm. I, I didn't want to keep living with my fingers crossed, you know, mm-hmm. that, cause that's what it felt like. So then a more liberal school hired me and that felt like, all right, a, a step, I can be a little bit more honest. It's, they had a, they have a richer intellectual tradition at the high school I was working at. 
And then, and then Rob left and they asked me to take that job. And that felt was like incremental steps until I realized I'm still crossing my fingers. Yeah. Even as a mega church pastor who no one was looking over my shoulder. No one said, make sure you teach on this and this. It just, I knew at the core, I could not tow the party line and, yeah. and an institution like that need you to tow the party line. What well, is the best way to explore your own faith through teaching other people how to do it? Well, I, I that's been my way. Yeah. I mean, Oh, you, you do like that. I thought maybe you felt that limiting to your own journey. I, I don't, well, I guess I'd have to think about that. To be honest, I, I do tend to work stuff out in like, teaching. I, yeah. I work stuff out in public, which is not always the best way of doing it, but it's very rabbinical to me. Actually. Yeah, it yeah. sounds very old world. And, and I, it's like, I'm searching. I don't quite know what the truth is. So I'm going to throw myself into it and, and kind of wander around. That means you yeah. go down a lot of dead ends, but um, so I, I felt like it ha- it has been a way teaching has been a way for me to find out what's true. Hmm. Um, but when it pays your bills and yeah. it's a conflict of interest, it's a conflict of interest. Isn't it? I mean, that sounds like what Jesus is saying, serving God and Caesar, that sort of idea. Yeah. Well, he said you can gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. That pretty much sums up every pastor in America. Yeah. You know? Wow. They have gained a congregation, a following, a livelihood, a name, but they don't know what they're, they don't know very much about their soul. Right. They may be betraying their very essence. Right. Not, not all of them, but I, I imagine many of them, many of them that I know. Right. You know, cause would you, wouldn't you define sin as something that's I- impeding on your connection to God? I don't know. What do you, what do you, I have like, that? you know, I, this, the word sin makes me so uncomfortable. Dude, me too. Like, that's I why just, I've tried to reclaim it by just saying it's just something that's fuzzy. That's <laughs> you should soft. just reclaim it like an everyday conversation. Like, oh, just yesterday I was sinning. And, uh, you know, I mean, oh my God, my dick just got so soft. <laughs> you said I know exactly. It's so I gross. hate it. I hate it. David so Bazan gross. did this podcast and we talked yeah. about sin and, and accountability. And there are all these words that I just, I'll punch you in the face if you say you're going to keep me accountable about yeah. something. But when I'm trying to understand, the reason I asked or even brought up a word that neither of us like is it, it would be interesting to then consider that leaving a church could be a sin in that yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's like, it's, it's, I, I was thinking about what Paul said about it. It would be better to cut off your hand. Mm-hmm. It would be better to leave your church yeah. than to lose the... If you're not going to be honest with God... With which is in you, I think mm-hmm. that part that's deep in you, that's around you, but also your connection to it is inside of you. Yeah. If you can't be honest to that, what the fuck are we doing? Like yeah. that's that's such a wasted life, is kind of what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. And and at least in my experience, I felt I could be more honest with God, or I didn't really know what God yeah. was anymore. But just not with the people I was working for. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This far you shall come and no further is the is the unstated sort of message. And Marcel There's a like, ceiling. To yeah, your there's a ceiling. Life. Like and, and you would think it's probably a, a misconception that people might have about Rob Bell. They think, ah, he's a you know progressive, kind of love wins guy, but um the church started as a pretty traditional evangelical church. Yeah. And that's who it attracted. Traditional evangelical conservatives that live in a very traditional, traditional religious, you know, place. Exactly. So, um, he evolved. That's the truth. He evolved, he changed and, and people couldn't keep pace with that. Yep. And so by the time I was around, I think some people thought maybe I'll take, take it back to the Bible. Cause I must be, you're like the Israel guy, you know, stuff about the Bible, you know, you, I think I even heard the story 
this is rumor is what I should say. Rob left. New guy came in. New guy. No, Rob. New guy. Bring back Bible. (laughs) Like I would hear rumblings of that. Had nothing to do with you. It was just the. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised because um, Rob was a liability for the institution. And okay. So he's a liability for the institution. And so when he was out, it's it's an opportunity to how can we, you know, buckle things down and be very clear about who we are and right. make sure people are giving money. Certainty and, worship. Exactly. Certainty worship. And, and I didn't really play that game. Um, the anxiety level, I think, kept going up. And that's when I realized, I realized on a Sunday, I could blow this church up with one sentence. Which was? Any, just pick one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, gay people are Okay. <laughs> with God. Boom. Like blow it up. Even if people, and I, and, and when people would come up to me when I was a pastor and they'd say, what do you believe? I'd tell them, I would tell them exactly what I believe. I would also tell them, but the elders don't. Yeah. I see. And we're just living with this tension for a while. It was like an in-between, you know, maybe third way kind of thing. I believe this, yeah. they believe that, um, which that's a little different than probably some churches. But when I realized I could blow it up, mm. I realized that's not very good. And I realized I don't want to do that. This is not mine to blow up. And in fact, what's going to happen after that? I could blow it up one Sunday and then what, six months later be like, actually, I'm kind of done, you know, like take everybody through hell and then leave and do something else. That didn't didn't make sense. If you start a war, you have to like, it's like a six year commitment. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have to do this for six years. Probably. It's like taking SNL. (laughs) You have to do it for six years. (laughs) So, uh, then what happened with the camel? I want to ask you what, what you think. You, I, I saw a quote that you had where you said, you're not even sure what people mean when they say God anymore. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, that's, it's, I think that that's true. People don't know, people don't know what the they word God means anymore. God? Yeah, they don't. <laughs> they don't know what they talk about when they talk about God. Definitely not. <laughs> um, and what do you do? Go ahead. I, I think that is a gift. And the temptation is to try to, like you're saying, suck everything back to the world of certainty. God is a man. He's a father. He's a person, you know, he's a man in the clouds in the worst case scenario, you know? Um, but I think it's just part of the terror, the existential terror of living in a global village Mm. where you realize, Oh wait, my images of God are number one rooted in my own childhood hangups around father wounds and you know i'm pro- i'm projecting onto a deity something and it's also coming from a so a social political environment a culture mm-hmm. has and when you realize oh wait all cultures have their images of the divine i mean it's a, it's a crisis that i don't think anyone's had to face yeah. i mean nations bumped into each other in all you know throughout history but it's the global village that that i think accentuates this existential angst mm. and crisis that we're in. And I say it's a good thing. Because we have so much communication with each other. Yeah, we have yeah. communication. And we realize, wait a minute, like I think any Christian, even like a Christian school kid thinks, wait a minute, if I were to be born in, you know, Iran, wouldn't that make me a Muslim? Wouldn't yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. They, they would say, yeah, that's what, and that would be okay. Some part of them knows what else could they do about it? They're that, just okay. That was my test with Rob. I, I was surfing with him and I said, it was right when we were getting to know each other. I said, if you were born in India, you'd be a Hindu. And I thought I had him. And he just went, yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. So that means we don't know what we mean by God. We don't know what we mean by the divine. Right. Because we have a multiplicity of images. Right. 
And you can go the super abstract, non-dual, you know, unitive consciousness, which I'm, I'm all for, but they're still, they still were discovered in concrete images and the concrete images are what have power. Like if I tell you to go worship the non-dual emptiness of the void, well, that's, what does that even mean? So yeah. you sort of come to the non-dual in my, in my view through the concrete, yeah. but it doesn't matter what the concrete is in, in my view, but you cannot be a pastor. Right at an evangelical megachurch right. and have those as your fundamental beliefs. That's what Ram Dass says is you have to be somebody before you can be nobody. Yeah. And that's what Richard Rohr says. What, what I find very interesting, like how are you raising your kids? Because we're, we're about to have a kid. Yeah. Hey, Congratulations. Yeah. I guess this will be the first time I talked about it. We'll put it in the intro. Hmm. Will you remind me to put it in the intro? Val and I will talk about it. So Val's pregnant. And it's, I'm not worried about it, but I'm interested in the fact that my, I'm, I, I love where my faith is the vocabulary and the depth and the colors that I can play with because I was raised with a certain curiosity towards mm. these things. But I'm like, I, I don't see us taking our kids to church. <laughs> I think it's baloney time, Yeah, but I don't know. I guess my guess is that I'll freestyle it. I'll just be like, we're going to talk frankly about God whenever it comes freestyle, up. Yeah. Freestyle it. That's what we've been doing. Is Free- that what you do? Yeah. The freestyle approach. Yeah. I'm not like, I, <laughs> and that's, that's one thing that bothers me about Richard Rohr. And actually my wife pointed, has been pointing this out, but you know, he's, he has this order, disorder, reorder. Mm. And you know, like I, Richard Rohr says, I lived in Kansas. You know, I could say, well, I grew up in, in Baptist, Southern, you know, Baptist, whatever culture. Yeah. That's my certainty. And then I grew out of that. And then now I, you know, there's You're something rebuilt. on the other side of that. Yeah. But that's not, that's not true for our kids. Because they won't have that. They won't have that. And I don't, it doesn't exist. I in wonder, the way, in the forms that it exists, it doesn't exist. Right. So we, it takes, I think, creative imagination. And maybe it's freestyle for a while. Yeah. Freestyle. I see. I hope, I don't think Rob would mind. It's the idea of never leaving church. It's not easy, but it's like, Rob is a big, like, one of the things he said to me is like, he, I don't think it mind me saying he sees the parents freaking out at Disneyland because that's their time. And it's stressful because it's like, this is our time. Damn it. And he's like, it's the, it's the ride to school. That's supposed to be the time. It's the breakfast in the morning. You're supposed to claim that time in these little increments instead okay. of putting the pressure on yourself to have this big thing. I wonder if it's the same thing with, with God and spirituality, meaning it doesn't have to all be done on Sunday. It can just be part of the conversation Sunday is not even taking responsibility. That's putting it on somebody else. <laughs> Let's go listen to Kent and his bullshit. And that's going to be the authority structure. He's struggling yeah, for us. Yeah. They hand it off. Christians are, we're the worst. Jesus died for us. Yeah. Kent researches for us. The yeah. choir sings for us. <laughs> yeah. It's all externalized. It's on the other side yeah. of the glass. Yeah. That's why I like myth and metaphor. Definitely. And, and so you feel like a, uh, the unified consciousness idea. Tell me about the bit of ca- camel bit you. What does that mean? Okay. So <laughs> I know you've told this a lot. You know what Jed yeah. told me when I do press for crashing? Tell it in a way you've never told it. Okay. I'll try. That's how you get it out of the reciting brain and into the okay. communicating brain. Well, I haven't thought about it in a while. So good. Okay. Good. It seems, it seems I'm just worried I'd bore you because I know no. you probably have to tell this a lot. When I was in Israel, probably at the height of my existential angst. And I couldn't, I really couldn't decide, should I go back Mm. or should I go forward? And forward meant I have no idea. Mm. And I was still sort of on the cusp of maybe God is going to help me. Maybe God has a plan, you know, maybe he's got, I don't think he does, but maybe, but maybe (laughs) I would sure, it sure would be convenient if he did. So, um, I took this, uh, 
planned experience for class, which was a 10 day tour of Egypt that, that concluded with climbing Mount Sinai. I said, this is gonna be my moment. I'm going to climb Mount Sinai and I'm going to ask God what to do with my life. I'm going to say, let's have a heart to heart. I'm going to pray. I'm not much of a prayer. I'm going to say, help me. I don't know. Should I go toward academics? Should I go back to Mars Hill and kind of do whatever there church land? I have no idea. So what happened was, first of all, I tried to fast, couldn't do it (laughs) because I read the story and it says, uh, today and tomorrow, uh, prepare yourself. And the third day I will appear to you. That's in the Torah. Mm. And the Jew, the, the Jewish interpretation is that means to fast. So I said, I'm going to fast. So on Mount Car- uh, Mount before, like mm-hmm. the day before I'm going to fast. Good thing to do before a hike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, carbo unload. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but it turned out to be this like insane experience where my professor thought, you know what, let's take land rovers instead of the bus to Mount Sinai. And we're going through the desert and it's like, you know, 45 miles an hour on these like unpaved, you know, roads and slamming and people are complaining and everyone, every, every, uh, college uh, graduate student is complaining, you know, where's the food, you know, just like the Jews. Exactly. <laughs> How long is it going to take to get there? You know, all this kind of stuff. It feels like it's taking 40 years. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. So I, I, and I had, I'd lost all willpower. And when we finally got to the hotel, all the students were talking about was food, 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 you know? And mm-hmm. so I'm like in the buffet line, just eating. Cause I haven't eaten in two days. You know, I'm just eating off my plate in the buffet line. So I'm feeling kind of low and I decided to climb Mount Sinai off my plate in the buffet line. is poetry. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm climbing, I'm climbing and I, and I'm still having my mind, what would it be like to be a monk and, you know, just quiet solitude, me and God, me and the universe, we're going to have it out. But instead it's like a tourist experience. You know, there are Bedouins. They're like, oh, come ride a camel. It's too far to walk. There are huts selling hot chocolate and of Snickers course. bars. You're in the Christian and, market. Oh my God! Yeah, and they're like, people the are in high heels. You know, yeah. I'm like, where am I? I mean, I, I, and it's cold, and I didn't wear enough clothing, <laughs> and I'm freezing. At one point, I see a hat on the ground, a ski hat, and I pick it up. <laughs> I shake off the dust and put it on my head because I'm I'm literally shivering. Whoa. I rent a blanket from a Bedouin at the top for ten dollars. Rent. Rent. I had to give it back to him. Wow. Yeah. Old kind of nasty. We're in the wrong business. <laughs> Should be renting blankets. I know. Unexpected renting... cold climate. Exactly. So I have this like anti-climatic climactic experience. The sun starts to come up and the hillside begins to sing and they're singing. Here comes the sun by the Beatles. Wow. I have no idea. It's like a spontaneous, uh, nothing about this is what I thought. Yeah. It's confusing. I try to pray. I just get nothing. It's just blank. Like, I'm just an idiot on top of a mountain. That's what it was. I'm just an idiot. In a rented blanket. In a rented blanket. It's not even my blanket, my hat. (laughs) It's a filthy hat. I probably have lice now. And so I start heading down the mountain and I'm passing like the staging area where the camels were that brought the lazy people up. And and a camel just swings its head around and grabs my arm like full on my elbow goes deep into its throat and it's slinging me back and forth like a like a dog with a chew toy just oh my god and i'm i'm cussing i'm saying things that have never been said you know i'm combining you know yeah cuss words was, i didn't know camel fucker was a thing yeah exactly <laughs> Um, and then it lets go. The only thing I can think of in the moment is I'm going to punch the camel in the face because I can't get it to let go. And I start to punch the camel it and it lets go. Is it sharp or gummy? 
It's no, the teeth are in my. I mean, it has these massive gums, but the teeth are in my on my arm. You're feeling about. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. For some reason, I thought it was like it an old bruises. lady. No, 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 it, like, gumming you. No, it, it left bruises. It was bad. And there's this moment like it's silent, and he's let go of me, and I'm six inches from this camel's face, and it takes a breath and blows snot all over me. Oh that's my the moment. God. Yeah, and that's what moment exactly. So I come down. And, and I think the reason why that story, by the way, I was so embarrassed, which I usually am not that embarrassed by things. I didn't tell anybody this story. My wife, maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know because I think because I was so genuinely wanting an answer, yeah. just give me an answer. Give me some direction. Is this thing real? Yeah. Is any of this real? Help me. Yeah. And, and instead this is what happened to Dude, me. Dude, I know your pain, right? You just saying that. I know that. Pain. God. So... That I think it took me, I mean, that happened like maybe 10 years ago or maybe not quite that long ago. And it took me several years to start talking about it. And then, you know, it started working its way. And I realized something happened on that mountain and, and maybe bigger, something happened to me in Israel. And I started to get more honest. I started to take the path of authenticity instead of just social acceptance and capitulation and tribalism. my good boy, tribalism, and it'll pay your bills. Um, I started to take the path. I didn't jump on it f- full on, but, and it was, it was the, you were a bit by a camel, not a cheetah. Exactly. So I was, <laughs> uh, and, Slow. Yeah. And, and I think that's what I started to realize. I realized that I had to turn toward all this stuff that wasn't working mm-hmm. instead of trying like theological math and, you know, a series of compromises and, and crossing my fingers, I had to turn toward the stuff that didn't work. I had to mm-hmm. turn toward the truth of my own life, even if it meant I was going to have to lose my job, which is I did. I had to walk out of my own life mm-hmm. um, as like a mega church pastor. And then I wrote the book. I had no, when I quit, that's a whole story in of itself. But when I quit Marcel, I had no backup plan. I mm-hmm. said to, I had just come off a Bill Plotkin retreat. So I was, there was maybe some, uh, no, I was about to go on one. That's what it was. I was standing at the kitchen window and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And my wife was like, all right. So I went in and told the elders, I think two days later, and I had a strategic exit plan. It's time I fire you. <laughs> yeah. No, I had an exit strategy. I was like, this is, it's going to take, you know, six months, you know, and, I, and I'll slowly tell people. They said, you have to tell people next week. Like I was Were suddenly they mad. They panicked. Uh huh. And, and then they said, we want you out of here as quickly as possible. Cause they thought any Sunday I'll just say what I actually think and cause oh. everyone to become whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have any plan and I got up on, on Sunday and I said, I have never been at the center of Christianity. I've been way out on the edge and I'm not interested in promoting the center or defending the center. I am being called to the edge, actually beyond the edge. I have to go into the unknown. And I meant that as in a very straightforward sense. I'm quitting and I have no idea what I'm going to do. And I, there was no book deal. There was no nothing. It's yeah. just, was there a gasp? I, yeah, it was, I was nervous and I, I never get nervous with public speaking or I don't get that nervous. Yeah. I mean, I was like, like shaking. Wow. It's like something, something big. I could walk away from this right now. Um, and say no to what was sort of coming up in my my soul, I guess, yeah. maybe would be the right word, but yeah, no, it was, it was hard and nerve wracking. And yeah. So then I, yeah, I quit and started to walk into the unknown chapter of my, of wow. my life. Yeah. 
What it, what is it about now? Do you have a way that you think about it? Do you still like the this isn't a test by the way. I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> Do you still enjoy the Christ story? Are you dabbling in other faiths? What what is your vocabulary? Not as a right answer wrong answer. I'm just curious as someone who seems to be in, floating in the mystery near you. Um I mean I I find that it just comes up like it kind of in a natural way, all of the, the stories and the patterns that are there, like for example, the vision fast, I suddenly now I'm into like nature-based practices and going out and soul, what I would call soul work, which is different, I think, than just sort of transcendence spirit stuff. Do you change over the four days? You're close. Uh, I didn't. (laughs) I took, I, I, I did take a, like a, a bath in this really cold, pool of leftover water from a from a flood from a flash flood no way yeah. flash floods yeah. <laughs> okay sorry keep going you you really like the the good stuff like, wait, <laughs> did you have the same underwear on <laughs> i want to know what were we talking about <laughs> you were saying uh wow i really just screwed you over you're saying it comes naturally. The thing, yeah, the stories, the patterns yeah. come up. So, like, that's my point. The vision fast. Suddenly, I remember this is something Jesus does. He has to go face his own demons before he can walk into the second half of his life. Yeah, and so the pattern comes up naturally. So, yeah, I'm happy to talk about the pattern. I mean, I, I just, I don't, I don't tend to think about when someone asks me, "Are you a Christian?" I that I, I don't know what to say. That's not an interesting question to me. I. I it's not like I'm beyond categories. I'm not. Yeah. I just, Why not? Maybe you are. Uh, it, this, that's not. I know what people mean by that. Yeah. And I don't want to sit. In, I'm not that. I'm not a, a believer. Yeah. But to say that I'm, I'm not interested or connected somehow to the Jesus story is not true. I am. Mm. And and some of it is just natural. That's how I how I grew up. But I'm not necessarily trying to redeem Christianity. I know a lot of people are, and I really think they're doing amazing work but you don't need to apologize or, or i don't need to apologize yeah. for it or fix it in fact jung says symbols lose their power even the big ones mm. so the jesus symbol was needed in the world when it arrived on the scene mm-hmm. you know after whatever the, the greeks and their multiplicity of gods or whatever something about the image of jesus resonated with a lot of people speaking a lot of different language mm. language languages in Mm-hmm. That part of the world. So it's like how Batman's very big right now. Exactly. Because the symbols, something in them resonates, yeah, right? Yeah. But symbols lose their power. And my this is a personal question I have. I wonder if that's the age we're in. The Christ has lost his power. Hmm. Especially in the way we're telling the story. That is for sure the case. Right. American Jesus is done. Right. You know, in my view. I have no inch that should be torn down. I mean that's <laughs> I think you mean this Jesus, the one that's like, you know, that gotcha. statue like, where he's, he's pointing the gun a, fingers at you. A goal. Like, yeah. like he's oh. a goalie. Jesus saves. Or the one that's yeah. in the clouds. That's uh, hoping you get a hit. Yeah. Oh wait, that's a loo- That's not Jesus, but you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So but what? It, oh yeah. My, I, that's a, just a genuine question. I don't know the answer to that, yeah. but something of, of the image in it's symbolic. It's, it's power to transform the 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 human soul i think has lost its power for a lot of people what is the human what's it all about then whatever the symbol is whatever our method is what are we after meaning 
I think. Meaning? Yeah. Something, what do you mean by meaning? Um, I, I'm we, so eager. I, I love that answer, and I want to tell you what that means to me, but I want to be a good interviewer. I, I, I'd be curious, because that's just what popped in my head. I'm curious about what you would think. Yeah. I, I think that's just part of the human condition, that we crave meaning. We're meaning-making, symbol-making, mm-hmm. metaphor-making creatures. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. And um, our early attempts are what we would now call the early attempts of the ego, the adolescent ego to construct meaning falls apart. So what does it all mean? I think falling off that cliff and into the depths is now into the world where religion was born, Mm. where the great symbols of transformation appeared because it is, maybe it's about transformation. You can go through the world as a narcissistic, selfish dickhead that's called the American dream now, sadly, yep. um, or you can be transformed and not transformed into anything you recognize, like mm-hmm. into actually something you don't burn the sticks. Yeah, exactly. Burn the sticks and see what happens. And mm-hmm. there's tremendous meaning in that. Mm-hmm. There's a tremendous, there's tremendous meaning in your life unraveling and something else being born. Why is that the case? I can't tell you, Yeah, but it does seem to be universal. What's the point of life? I think in that sense, allowing that moving toward that, Yes. embracing that yes letting your life be burned up like yes. a stick yes. yeah that and then you'll know there's meaning it won't be a question of what you believe anymore you know you know there's meaning fucking a yeah i love that losing your life to find it yeah that's what jesus meant but you can't yeah you, you can't I, hear that when i you can't hear it is a great way to put it yeah. when i was a kid i thought that meant he was talking about himself like i'm gonna die but i'm gonna become a religion yeah and now <laughs> I think I'll think more of you burning the sticks. Who are you really? Who are we really? Are you into an idea of your awareness is a piece of God or is it a soul? Is it, does it matter? I Meaning can, is your ego a lie? No, I, th- okay. So I put the, let's just think about spheres. I think about the ego as a sphere, like a, like a globe, like a sphere. And you can have an unhealthy ego or a healthy ego. You have to have an ego. You cannot be egoless. I think that's bullshit. You, and, and part of it is you just have to do some work. You have to go to therapy. You have to whatever, take some tests. You have to yeah. know, figure out all of the unhealthy ways the ego has tried to survive the wars of childhood. What are you on the Enneagram? Guess. I, I don't know four. well enough. Four. Which one's but, four? I, uh, wish I, could, I wish I knew well enough to guess. I only remember what mine is. Seven. Achiever. What's seven? You're three? I think I'm three. It's not a perfect fit, but that's what the test said. Yeah. Okay. Well, the test... Well, I have mixed feelings about the Enneagram, but okay, the, the test is actually one form of saying, I want to do some self-examination. It's yeah. like a searching moral inventory. It's a version of a searching moral inventory. So it's really healthy. I just don't like the idea that you can be a number. Yeah, yeah. The soul doesn't give a shit about your freaking Enneagram yeah. number. It laughs at it. So yeah. anyway, that's the <laughs> ego. <laughs> that's the ego. But beneath that is the realm of soul. I'm just thinking archetypally and mythically. And the soul is the depths of who you are in your unique individuality. Jung would say it's an image or a series of images. It's usually connected to archetypes. That's the way they get channeled up. But somehow, Pete, whatever makes you wildly and only you is down in the depths. Mm. And you have to bring that forth in the world if you want to find meaning. Mm. If it stays buried then what's the meaning? I got a, I got a jacket from Hard Rock, Hard Rock Cafe. Cafe. Yeah. That's it. Above that is spirit. And I'm using like these big kind of above and below because that's sure. what the great stories seem to indicate. Above that is spirit. That's God, union, transcendence. Mm. So one is the path of transcendence. 
How, what does that do to the ego? It transcends the ego. Mm-hmm. That's what we want. Mm-hmm. That's what maybe mushrooms are like. You transcend totally. the ego. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Soul is incendence. You sink beneath the ego. It, there may be just two sides of the same coin. It's, it's an often, I think it's a, it's a forgotten, um, path. Soul path, mm. and many people get stuck with God, 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 transcendence. But they really don't know anything about who they are. They don't spelunk. Yes, they don't so excavate. They, they, so some some excavation is in order. And if you have some, there's no such thing as perfection. If you're kind of have a little of both, you're on the soul path and you're on the path of spirit. Then the ego is going to get messed with, and and you'll do you'll find meaning. I think. In sort of burning him up a little bit. Yeah, the ego. Well, all of the spiritual traditions say the ego has to die. Yeah. Well, the soul tradition is saying the same thing. That's what a vision quest is. Yeah. You go out and you lament, you grieve, and you, something in you dies. Yes. So that something else can emerge. Instead, by the way, Christians let Jesus die. They're yeah. like, you go die yeah. for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other side of the glass. And you do all the transforming business yes, for us. Yes. We don't have to do anything. Right. They, they, they miss the very heart of the symbol. That's it. Yeah. That's fucking a it. Because that's when the crucifixion becomes something weird to do as well. That's why it's more powerful as a myth. Yeah. Me. And it's done unto you. Sometimes you don't have a choice. I don't think Jesus had a choice. Yeah. He wasn't like, oh, today I think I want to die. Yeah. You know? No, yeah. it's like a, a series resisted. of historical circumstances. Yeah. Just like your marriage falls apart, and you're yeah. like, fuck me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck me. Well, that Who was, am I? Yeah. Well, that was it for me. There you go. Was a divorce. Yeah. My wife leaves, and I go, but I thought I was on God's team. Yeah. And now I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. It was, that was a real gift. It was a secret gift. Yeah. It, it, it opens up these channels that are there. But I think you would agree that the Western faith is a faith of the more of the ego, because when we're talking about certainty, more of the ego, almost exclusively, exclusively of the ego. Yeah. The ego goes, I have it. You don't have it. Only the ego would create doctrine statements. Statements Declarations of faith. faith. That's an ego document. Totally. Yeah. Sign my ego document. My (laughs) ego needs your ego to sign my ego document. And And we call that Christianity. And don't you feel then, can I project this onto you that your burden of turning other people into Christians that's such a happy one to leave. Well, we go back to my friend Azhar. What a, what a wonderful, I almost said mitzvah, what a wonderful thing to talk to Azhar about his faith instead of quietly. Do you remember maybe when you were a kid, I don't know, quietly looking for a way in to witness to this person? Def- well, I, I was really bad at it. <laughs> oh, so. dude, I did it to one person, my, be- my best friend Ern, <laughs> yeah. and he's still mad at me about it. Yeah. But yeah, you walk around this with a, a, a kind of deep shame Yeah, that that what I really need to do is get this person on God's team. And you're not even interested in someone's life. You're just interested on what, what, what Jersey they're wearing. Yes. What it's Amway. Yeah. It's Avon. That's what I mean. It's Avon calling. Yeah. Oh God. That's so great. Yeah. So yeah, it's to to answer your question. It's a huge relief to leave that behind. You just simply don't have to carry that. And you're going to die tomorrow at noon. Mm -hmm. What, how do we feel? What are we going to do? You're not going to, you know what I'm saying? It's hypothetical. (laughs) I'm not going to kill you. How do you how do you feel about death? The mystery of death, the message of death. Um, I think I, I tell a very small story in "Bitten by a Camel" about when my dad died. I had a kind of I had a moment. Um, so after the funeral, which I hated, it was it was just a display of of the denial of death. That's what we call a funeral. 
don't worry, he's not dead. That's the basic message of right. a Christian funeral. He's just in the other room. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. happy about this, you know, yeah. and you should be too. There's a know? great, um, what's his name? Wavy Gravy. Yeah. Says, uh, let's, let's say it's a guy named Steve. Wavy Gravy would joke. Death was Steve's second choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think that's such a great yeah. line. So anyway, after, after the funeral, uh, it was cold January. I live in the, in the woods kind of in Michigan. I was outside. I just went on a walk. I don't know why I was walking, but I felt like I had to grieve. Like I had to cry. Something had to happen. Like I, I needed to, to something to happen in the body. So I was out kind of wandering and crying, um, which is awesome. Um, and I don't know, like the world became very still and I almost felt as if the trees were saying that death is not a problem. Hmm. Like we've turned it, religion has turned it into a problem. And so if I die tomorrow at noon, I'm not saying I'll have that same feeling, but I do think something changed for me in that moment that this is not a problem. It's mm. not a problem. It's not a problem if I die. Mm. I, I'm not trying to avoid that. I'm sure in other ways I am trying to avoid it, but that felt like a gift. And to me, it's it's a that's what happens when the ego is not in control. So a good mm. cry, a good lament, a good grief puts the ego out of control. And you're able to get glimpses of something deeper. I didn't invent that as a saying, like you know, like, uh, or I read it in a, in a, in, you know, an inspirational book, death is not a problem. It came up from somewhere right. into my it. awareness. Saying, I felt it in my yeah, body. Right. And you were it. Yeah. You weren't thinking it. You were, it. I were, I, I, exactly. I was it. And whatever it is, was gift, not something my ego invented. Right. Um, I hope on my deathbed, that's what it feels like. Right. Not a shiny stone for you to go, look, I have equanimity Yeah. and you can sell it and polish it and show it off. It's very close to something that Ram Dass says. It's actually hanging up over my sink um, where he says death is not an error mm-hmm. and it's not a failure. And I say this all the time on the podcast because I love to hear it. He goes, it's taking off a tight shoe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there would be no – back to meaning. There would be no meaning without death. What, yeah, totally. What would, what would love mean? What would – Nothing. Nothing. No time, no loss, no stakes. Yeah. As a story, I'm writing season three of Crashing right now. You use that term stakes. There's no stakes. You got to put a clock on things is another term. Uh, We need to set up parameters that if this doesn't happen by this time, it's a failure or it didn't happen or you know what I mean? Like you're talking about the excavating of the soul and the digging in and discovering who you are. Without a clock on the game, we could all just be eating ambrosia. You know what I mean? Like why even come here? Yeah. To this, why do anything? Plane all? There's of no urgency. There's yeah. no, there's no meaning. Yeah. There's no reason to create anything either. Right. Just ride it out. You know. Right. Forever. That's exactly. just like float. doesn't make any sense. Just float. Yeah. <laughs> what does it matter? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, my friend Duncan Trussell, who I think you would love, he says, if we were in some sort of pre-birth place, you wouldn't put your quarter in the video game that lasts forever. Yeah. You would play the game that has. Has limits. Has a limit and an end. That's what the Greeks believed anyway. Like uh, the limits of death, which they called fate, is the very thing that sends you on the path of destiny. So that Michael Mead talks about that too. So there's, there's tension between fate. What is, what's one aspect of fate? You're going to fucking die. Yeah. And you know it. Yeah. So it can either force you on the path of destiny, which is who you really are in the world. Or you're going to deny it. Yeah. Say, that's not happening to me. And then you don't go on the deeper path. That's right. I was, uh, that's something I was also thinking about. I think one of the reasons why we're interested, I know gun violence in reality stinks, but the fact is that for many, many 
uh, decades, we've loved action movies. And I think there's something interesting about how uh, violence, the threat of violence, equalizes everybody. Meaning, if you were a very important businessman, you know, whatever it is, if you were a movie star, let's say you're Brad Pitt, and I'm just a, a guy with a gun, mm. but I don't have any money, I don't have any status, that's what I mean. Um, suddenly it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It, it flattens both of us. Yeah. Meaning you're not Brad Pitt. It doesn't matter that you have a private jet. It doesn't matter that you had sex with Angelina Jolie. Nothing matters. It sucks you into the moment mm-hmm. and it brings to light everything that you believe about your Brad Pittness is bullshit, is yeah. illusory. It's a hallucination because the gun brings into urgency this moment. And I think that's why we like action movies, especially about like... Yeah. So are you saying that, that violence is like, in that sense is just death coming in as a leveler. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, okay, yeah. A gun in a movie mm-hmm. helps us reckon, like John Wick. How many people get shot in John Wick? I think that's our attempt at reconciling death. When you see a movie like Raid Redemption and 10,000 people die in it, mm-hmm. and you're just watching it and you're like, I know this happens to me. It's Dia de los Muertos, it's Halloween, but you're watching a guy reconcile, deal out death, even though you know he dies. He's mm-hmm. a symbol of death. Yeah. John Wick is death. Yeah. The guy, Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men, is death. He's an unstoppable, unkillable, inevitable force. And we love stories about that because there's an unstoppable, inevitable force after all of us. Yeah, yeah, good. I like that. Right? Yeah. And I, I think that's why when I'm watching an action movie, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm like, you're, uh, you're dealing with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny that people call them mindless. And at the same time, I'm like, I think something's going on deep in you too. Yeah. Well, you, there would, yeah, we know that's the case because millions of people are paying to watch these things. Right. You know, right. It's something deeper is going on. It's tapping into something deeper for, for sure. sure. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. Do you feel, how do you feel? You feel good? I feel all right. How do you feel? I feel great. I'm just looking at my notes, make sure we have everything. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think we have it all here. I feel great. Uh, yeah. Well, because, because, yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. This was one of my favorite chats in a long time. Uh, because it gets heavy, (laughs) (laughs) I always like to ask the guests if they can remember a time that they laughed really, really hard. It doesn't have to be a great story. Don't feel on the spot. It might've been yesterday. Just a time that you cried laughing, maybe with your kids. Usually there's a fart. Religious people, it might have been in church. Yeah. I don't know. God. Um, this is a story that came to my mind because I don't know if it was laughing hard, but it's just all these themes with death. So at my, at my dad's funeral, I said, I want to have like the dirt. Like you throw the dirt. For some reason, I just wanted that because yeah. it's so clinical now. They lower them down in this vault of concrete. You know, it's yeah. like, it's so gross. So I said, let's, we got to do the old fashioned. We got to throw some dirt on this. So everybody's around. It's freezing cold. Lower the thing down. The guy, they, they brought out like, it's like a ceremonial bucket, you know, like here's the ceremonial bucket of dirt and they set it down. And my nephew, he's like probably three, three or four is first. He's like, this is it. Like he gets excited. He doesn't even know what it is, but he gets up, he takes the dirt and chucks it in there. Like you, like you have never just wham slams like it a in cricket there. pitcher. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and wants to do it again, you know, picks up another one. And the parents are like, no, 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 no. I mean, he just, for some reason I was like, my dad would love that. My dad, if 
if he was watching, which he wasn't, he was dead. Um, <laughs> he would just love that. I mean, that's the kind of thing I, I love that kind of dark humor. So that was a time I laughed. That's I a great, like, that's a great yeah, reply. Yeah. I felt bad that I put you on the spot and then you hit us with a great story yeah. about a kid throwing dirt at your dead dad. So good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's your next book title. Yeah. Throwing dirt at my Thro- dead dad. Throwing dirt at Although eating dad. off my plate in the buffet line is a great, <laughs> you should hold on to that. Rob titled my book bitten by a camel. Cause I, uh, I was like, hey, I got an idea for a book. And you know, he is like you know, oh, in five minutes, he's got the whole structure and the title and everything. It's like talking for a man who doesn't drink coffee. It's like talking to coffee Yeah, in the best way. Yeah. <laughs> I love coffee. Yeah, but he's just like, I just got off the phone. Some of your notes are things that Rob was telling me yeah. that I could do. He was like, you got to do this. And, you, and I was like, oh my God. And he's always right. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> it's like talking to creativity yeah. is really the better way to put it. He's a wellspring of creativity for sure. And he, he named it. Yeah. And it's out now. This is, I mean, the buy, whole episode is... You can buy, a, you can buy the audio book. You can buy the actual physical. Copy. You read it? Yeah. You did it. it. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, this was an honor. What a great chat. Same. I hope you liked way. it. And um, we always have the guest close by... They say the catchphrase, which is keep it crispy, if you would. You, you can also opt out, but I don't think you will. <laughs> keep it crispy. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll ring the singing bowl. For all the episodes of my house, we can ring the singing bowl. Thank you very much, Kent. Thank you.